Oh, you read your next one. I've got to calm down. I'm seething over here. I'm crying. <laughs> So my name is Zachary Duncan, and we've just sampled a few of our older episodes, and I got frustrated that we never said the name of the movie that we were going to be reviewing up front, Taxi Driver. Yep. This is Allison, and this is Zach. We are Rose Tinted Reels, reviewing Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver. There Beautiful. we go. We stuck like, that landing. We're, we're so good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Professional <laughs> podcasters we are. Yep. So uh, the hell's going on with you? Well. What the hell is going on with you? The hell is going on with you? <laughs> very pressured to give an answer right we'll now. do that's usually what happens in conversation usually when have we ever done what's usually right we're breaking the rules on this podcast one person speaks the other one silence <laughs> it's good audio content exactly people love listening to that silence <laughs> absolute peace it's peaceful though people can meditate while listening to this or not or not or not up to you so taxi driver so um one thing i would like to start with is a disclaimer there is some difficult content in the film taxi driver so if you are sensitive to the mistreatment of underage everyone well i was gonna specifically say uh jodie foster's character it plays a 12 year old prostitute if this or extreme violence is something that triggers you Maybe join us for the next episode or skip this one, but do come back. Or or listen to a huge chunk of this and just uh, turn it off when we get to the underage people being prostitutes part. But I remember when I was a kid and we were watching movies and there was some adult content in it. My parents would just be like, cover your eyes. And so that way we could watch whatever we wanted to watch. But uh, earmuffs. Earmuffs. Well, it, it was eye muffs that for some reason hearing it's okay if you don't see what's going on. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I remember specifically having to wear the uh, blinders for Braveheart, Jerry Maguire. How old were you? When Braveheart came out. Or when your parents were allowing or not allowing you to watch? That lasted, I think, up until my teens. I wasn't allowed to watch Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers. Oh, I loved Power Rangers. It was thought to be too violent. Okay, but what the Power Rangers were attacking weren't like humans. They were clay monsters. yeah. My mom is really, really anti-violence. Well. So violence against anything is bad. So I'm corrupting you. Well, at this point, <laughs> I have seen violent movies. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. So, uh, Some and, of them on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I may have even played a violent video game at this point. But <gasps> when I was a kid and under my mommy's rule, <laughs> she took away my Power Rangers. The rule of mom. Although I do appreciate her taking away the Power Rangers because I saw an episode one time. I th may have talked about it on the podcast already, mm -hmm. but I saw an episode that featured uh, everyone's parents turning into evil clowns <laughs> and it terrified me. Hmm. And yeah. then like shortly after that, I saw it. Oh. Because I wasn't at my mom's house. I was at my dad's house and my step siblings are almost step siblings. My dad never got remarried. But he was with the same woman for like nine years, so they were almost step siblings. You counted them. Sure. Yeah. I'm gonna go to one of their weddings soon, so you know. There you go. Yeah, they count. They count. Yeah. They count, damn it. You got an invitation. I got an I got that invite. It means something to be invited to a wedding, I will say this, because they 
They say when you're looking at who you're going to invite to your wedding, you have to ask yourself, would you, on a normal circumstance, spend $200 to feed that person? Because that's the average amount of plate for adults. Well, yeah, but it does depend on the circumstance. Because if we're just going out to lunch and you forgot your wallet, I'm not buying you a $200 meal. <laughs> no, but <laughs> it's uh, in an extreme circumstance. like I'll buy you some McDonald's. Mac, not not even McDonald's. <laughs> I'll go, I'm going to go to the bargain McDonald's called McDonald's. So what's going on with me? Not a whole lot. I'm trying very strategically to make sure I get in all of my water content in a day. So if you notice, I have a ridiculous jug of water beside me. That is a gigantoid yeah. bit of water. So it's half a gallon, 73 ounces. And by the end of the day, I will have needed to have consumed the entire thing. That's a lot of peeing, though. That's 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 <laughs> you are basically conscribing yourself to at least 30 minutes of peeing. Yeah, it's uh, it has not been a small amount. <laughs> no, it's just I try to parcel it throughout the day. Um, the weird part is, is like right before bed, if I find myself getting thirsty again, I'm like, no. I've already gotten my water in. You point to yourself, you've had enough. <laughs> what are you, a camel? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good idea. It's very healthy to do so. I, I try to have a good few three or four times a day. Have you ever measured how many ounces are in the star cup? I thought you were going to say that I pee. No, who who measures that? I don't know. <laughs> I thought I was go I was getting ready to tell you it was an odd question, but you didn't ask it, so it's all right. <laughs> For once, I'm not the odd one. <laughs> yep, odd Allison. That's what people call you. It's true. Well, I mean, I could go on and on, but there's so much content for Taxi Driver. Oh, my God. I've got so much trivia. Yeah. it's. Oh, is there going to be a test, or is this just pure trivia? Oh, there's, a, there's going to be a test. Oh, chimney christmas and several of them are going to be questions that even matt probably doesn't know the answer to <gasps> my friend matt from matter of facts that's right so i've heard that he's given us quite a few facts to digest but still i'm doing my competition with him look he's had his fancy film education so he knows a thing or two <laughs> but i've googled some stuff <laughs> so, so i'm the subject matter expert here <laughs> well no he's the subject matter expert but he's got to prove himself by knowing more than I know from a cursory Googling. Oh, you're the young upstart. Exactly. I've done a cursory Googling, and if he can know more than me, then he's the true SME of uh, film and Taxi Driver specifically. Well, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. All right. For personal news on my front, I've been working on a new uh, strategy game. Well, it looks pretty fancy. It seems to be a reimagining of chess. Yeah, it's a combination of chess and a card game-esque thing like hearthstone or magic it's got like abilities and health and attack power and movement numbers and things like that so yeah i'm working on that and it's coming along very nicely at some point i'm gonna need to hire i think i'm gonna have to outsource for artwork hmm. so if anybody out there knows anybody who'd like to get into the gaming industry has a talent for uh, making good art mm -hmm. uh i can't pay you but if you make some art for this we release it you get your name on it you know, it's something for your resume. It's clout. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's my personal news podcast news. Do we have any? Yes. So we actually had some lively discussions happen on not only our main Facebook page for the Rose Tinted Reels, but also on the RTR community face place. Got to pronounce it right, though. 
RTR. <laughs> RTR. <laughs> so Melanie uh, appreciated her special shout out during our Karate Kid episode. Um, mm-hmm, let mm-hmm. Team Leather and Spice hashtag Leather and Spice. That's right, and that that's a reference to you guys thinking that uh, Michael Wait. Anthony Hall. What's his name? William Zapka. William Zapka. That's the guy that he smells like he's been leathered and spiced. Yeah. Yummy. Because you met him in person. And you said and he, he gave the best hugs. He did. He We were at the bar and he gave us a hug. Yeah. Oh, you were at the bar? Yeah. I could totally forgot that. It, I thought you had just gone up to his booth or something like that and he N- gave you a hug. No, we were hanging out at the bar and oh. we he just walked by and we're like, yeah, hey, William Tapka. This was just an incidental meeting. How fun. That happened to be at a convention where he was at. Well, (laughs) (laughs) somewhat contrived. Like you knew he would be somewhere around, but you didn't know he'd be at the bar necessarily. True. But those in the know recognize. Oh God, are you stalking him? No. uh, When you go to these conventions at night, usually there's only one hotel bar. Likely the actors are coming down. (laughs) How cool would it be to see like all of the actors from like 15 or 20 different fandoms all come together and have a little chat at the bar? (laughs) I would like it to be competitive uh, fandoms like Trekkies versus uh, Star Wars nerds. I never understood the competition there. Versus Lord of the Rings nerds. I feel like there's more competition between Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Uh. Because those are kind of the epic story for good versus evil and sort of thing. Star Trek is is more of procedural day in the life of way in the future talking about ethics and stuff like that. It's it's a different sort of thing. It's a different flavor. Yeah. But yeah, I never understood so it's, the uh, Star Wars v. Star Trek thing. So Star Wars v. Uh, Lord of the Rings is basically French vanilla versus vanilla bean. Well, which is vanilla bean in that scenario before I say yes? No. Uh, <laughs> it's just no. <laughs> no. It's just no. No, I don't think so. Because I, I love both. I would say Lord of the Rings is French vanilla because it has that European. <laughs> well, but it's it's more of an Ingly. It's, it's very Ingly. Yeah, but England is in Europe. Not anymore. Yeah, well, mm. <laughs> thanks, uh, Brexit. Ruined my analogy. And Star Wars, Vanilla Bean. I was just trying to think of similar but different flavors. I would say it's it's maybe synthesized. What's the stuff that they've got? It's like liquefied that they have in cool Hollywood circles. It's like liquefied meat. You know what I mean? Or it's like oh, a whole meal that's just distilled into this one little liquid. Like uh, gastromolecular yeah. Yeah, gastronomy. Yeah. So yeah. what's, yeah. So it's a gastronomic and now look it up. It's a word. <laughs> it's a uh, powdered vanilla ice cream with the essence and breath of cold. Exactly. And that's <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> All right. So uh, what the hell? How did we get onto that? Leather and spicing, well, I think. Yes, uh, we were talking about uh, discussions on our main Facebook page. And then on the RTR community face place, we had a lively debate surrounding a poll I submitted asking what you, the listeners, want to hear. And it was pretty resounding that no more kids movies, drama. (laughs) Drama. And what was the second? Drama, campy horror, and then action. Oh, and then we also had a lively debate about how we feel about reimaginings of characters getting their own movies. Uh, this was sparked by Disney dropping the trailer for Cruella. That's right. Okay, so I remember, I think I even contributed to this discussion, but I didn't watch the thing for Cruella. Does it look good? So it looks interesting because it looks pretty dark for Disney. Even darker than the new retelling of Maleficent? Now we can only say it like the king. <laughs> <laughs> the only Scottish person yeah. in the land. Maleficent. Maleficent. Um, so... 
I would say different um, because that's still high fantasy. Cruella is based in the real world, so it's just about her madness. And abusing dogs. Dogs come to play later, but this is before she gets her clout in the fashion industry and before she has an interest in skinning the puppies. Gotcha. Okay, so does she seem like she's kind of a a disturbed personality that's not so much... You know, she she's not the total villain of a piece yet, so you're following her almost as an anti-hero? Well, right, because you're, you're watching her. And like you Joker? Can, you can already see that there's wrong with her brain functions. Like, you can already tell. It, but her problem is her ambition. Right. Joker didn't really have... He wanted to be loved. He wanted to share comedy. But with Corella, it, it seems it's all about her ambition. And I wasn't uh, trying to draw the, uh, the analogy between those two based on their personalities being the same or their ambitions being the same. Just that they're both villains in a different movie in the originals. Yes. And okay. so we're and we're following them as kind of an antihero. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we've got lots of conversations going on on the Hardy R community face place. So head over there. And if you're not a member, just go to Facebook. Type in. I presume it works to just type in RTR community face place. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're not joining us there... Then you are our enemy. Well, I was just going to say you're only getting half the story. Well, I was quoting Star Wars, so... Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not with me, then you are my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of ironic, because he's making a black and white statement. Only Siths deal in absolutes. So you're a Sith? Yeah, that's a tautological irony, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. You you just go write the good people at, you know, Lucasfilms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Georgie Lou mm-hmm. was great at many things. Dialogue eh, was not one of his strong suits, although that was a fantastic scene. All in all, the irony aside, great speech even. Mm-hmm. But generally, yeah, he's not great at dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- I will say that there are some speeches from Star Wars that I'm just like, specifically, uh, I forget if it was episode two, but we're they're in that big political arena, basically the Congress of Space. And it just, I was like, okay. <laughs> if this committee is not capable of action, I suggest new leadership is needed. Mm-hmm. I call for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum's leadership. Is that the one you're talking about? That's one. Is, is that really the one you're talking about? I, well, I don't remember the exact speech like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but do, do you want to break the sad news or should I? <laughs> he broke it. He broke it like he broke a uh, light up wand. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to wear it around my neck and go to a concert. <laughs> He's a rave kid now. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> he is so depressed about the lack of five star reviews. He's going to rave. That is a thing. Look. I've even been discussing with people that listen to the podcast regularly, like they genuinely, they're not just listening because they're our friends, but they genuinely like it Mm -hmm. and they haven't left a review. I know. I have had to send out several harshly worded text messages recently. Oh gosh. So in the Harry Potter universe, if we had howlers, we would have to send howlers to a bunch of people. I so wish that were a thing. (laughs) Scream, screamograms. There's got to be a way of doing that in an app form. Cameo. (laughs) Well, no, it's like you, you type something and then, you know, you get a Siri type voice that reads it out. Or maybe you can even record your own voice. But there's got to be a way of forcibly enabling the uh, the person's audio on the other side and playing it without them asking for it to be played. Oh, gosh, that would happen at the worst times, like weddings, <laughs> funerals. Ooh, how great would it be at a funeral? Business meetings. <laughs> Why haven't you reviewed our podcast? <laughs> My mom just died. Review our podcast. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> 
Yes. So, uh, party of two in hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Hell's going to be fun. But <laughs> this podcast is also fun. And while you're enjoying it, please leave us that five-star review. And if you're not enjoying it, please leave us a five-star review. And if you kind of like it all right, please leave us a five-star review. Get that through your head. Thoughtful tips and suggestions best read through a five-star review. Exactly. Pretty much anything that you feel in your heart, mm -hmm. good, bad, or neutral, mm -hmm. put it in the five-star review to us. Have something you want to plug? Five-star review. Have something that you'd like to pull out from under a rug? Five-star review. Do you want to propose to someone? How great would it be to do through a five-star review? Oh, I thought we were rhyming again. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> I dropped the ball. Damn it. Yes, there are many things, many things. Do you have a business partner that abandoned you and uh, took over, like did a hostile takeover of your business? Five-star review. Yeah, do you want us to really belittle Agnes? Let us know in a five-star review and we will we will read her to filth. Who's Agnes? Uh, the hypothetical person that wronged you. Oh, yes, Agnes, that one. Of course, <laughs> Agnes. But everyone has an Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got that Agnes in their life and we will tell her to screw herself. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Just, I we'll, dare we'll you. Be Give us details and we can make it more personalized than just a <laughs> Agnes. <laughs> Agnes, what a dummy. <laughs> Oh boy. Is Agnes the new Karen? I really hope so, because that's a great name to replace. I think that Karen works because there's so many Karens. I don't know that many Agneses. Agnes, Agni. Agni, Ag Agni give off more of a, uh, a different sort of vibe than a Karen. A Karen is kind of uh, self-centered and thoughtless, you know, and with a huge sense of entitlement. I feel like that's what a Karen is. Yes. And Agnes... Is like a business partner that steals your company. and <laughs> Or you did all this work to prepare a portfolio for a big meeting. And Agnes was your partner in this. But for some reason, when Agnes is doing the presentation with you, gets all the recognition. Oh, my God. I hate Agnes so much. <laughs> I, is it because I put it in terms that everyone has felt? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So not everyone's had a hostile takeover by a business partner? That's just me? I mean, I, I've never had a... Well, you don't you dare be my Agnes. I'll, <laughs> well, right back at you. Don't you be my Agnes either. Uh, we're, we're, we're making our own merchandise now. <laughs> don't you be my Agnes. <laughs> don't you be my Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one <laughs> one day we'll have merch one day we'll have fans that will buy that <laughs> i think we have fans it's just we don't have enough fans so help spread the word five star revered yeah sorry i was trying to rhyme again i don't know why i'm in a rhyming mood right now because i got one laugh and so you're just milking it yeah but it's not worked since the first time <laughs> was just something about venti and 20 venti and 20 <laughs> it sounds funny. it sounds very italian <laughs> but like the family guy mock italian not real so let's do a time warp okay back to 1976 oh boy are we in act two inside the rear we are we're inside the rural all right let's get to it man let's get real let's get real inside the real well <laughs> i don't know why i've turned it to boom how am i so Apple Computer Company was Did you kill mother <laughs> Apple Computer Company is formed by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. April I promised myself earlier the earlier this day that she would not scoop me on this. I knew I had to read it first. <laughs> you are my Agnes. I knew it. From now on, scooping someone is being an Agnes. 
I cannot believe this. Oh, read your next one. I've got to calm down. I'm seething over here. I'm crying. The CN Tower in Toronto, Canada is complete at the CN Tower. Hailed the record as the tallest building um, freestanding structure for over three decades. <clears throat> and it remains the tallest in the Western Hemisphere. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's so mad still. His hackles are just so rain. It's getting hot in here. I feel like we need the AC on. <laughs> Do you want some 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 water from my 73 hats? Nah, it's all right. <laughs> NASA unveils the first space shuttle, the Enterprise. Hey, that was on mine too. See, you scooped me. Uh, I can. You're a baby, Agnes. I know. Because I don't care. Uh, no, that yeah, it's not Agnes saying <laughs> if the other person doesn't care. Oh, we're furthering defining the definition of an Agnes. <laughs> what did, what is it to Agnes? <laughs> One, you have to scoop someone. Two, they have to care. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to have known they would care. <laughs> That's oh, pure agnesing. It's, it's willful scooping to <laughs> cause harm. Exactly. <laughs> scooping to cause harm. Agnesing. <laughs> that was a pure Agnes, what you just did. Oh, boy. Our Any- one fan is named Agnes. We lost them. <laughs> Sorry, Agnes. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> now, please accept my in advance apologies. I'm going to be reading a name that I'm hoping I'm pronouncing correctly. But if I'm not, it's not intended to be disrespectful. I think <clears> she's <throat> about to intentionally mispronounce this name for comedic effect, everybody. No, I would never. Hua Gufeng uh, became <laughs> the chairman of the Communist Party after the death of Mao Zedong. Uh, I think you pronounced that right. Yay. I don't actually know. I'm just trying to help you out here. Well, thank being you for being considerate uh, after I agnesed you. Yeah, what's the opposite of an agnes? That's what I'm trying to be. Is it a herald? Does it have to be male? Should it be female? Since we did a, a, a Stella. So there's both Because you're giving female? a Stella boost of confidence. Ooh. <laughs> Bad. Ooh. <laughs> no. A Mary? Mary. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. It sounds a little grating to say Mary, especially the way I just did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, let's see. A Marian. Marian. Yeah. See, I think all the MARs are where you're getting your kind of Marian. It forces me into Boston when I have to start a word with Marian. Your cousin from Boston. Marian. Oh, I love Marian. Okay. Let's, let's get uh, Nancy. Nancy. All right. Nancy. She was good in uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. She's a high quality character. Yeah. I'd be proud to be a Nancy. <laughs> I was not gonna laugh until you did that. Uh, uh, I don't know why we have the goofies. This is just like when we recorded the I was not gonna laugh, but then your face like just shut down. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I've cried twice today. <laughs> I have made. I have made my partner cry twice in one me. episode. <laughs> I, but in a good, yes, I, I good Nancy'd you. Well, there's only a good Nancy. Yes. In, in our, in our hypothetical Agnes versus Nancy scenario. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to ease the audience into the definition. I, I was, <laughs> I was the good guy, Nancy. You were, you were the bad guy, uh, Agnes. <laughs> All right. So because you had so little trivia and I have uh, relatively more, I feel like I should have gone first. 
But you didn't. You left that gap and I just I jumped right in. Feel like I didn't even. You jumped in. <laughs> I jumped in because I needed to Agnes you. <laughs> that was an aggressive Agnesing. I, uh, I feel soiled. If it's ever a Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. I got to be or, quick. Or, or Apple trivia. <laughs> got to be quick. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Noted. All right. So where Agnes. am I? <laughs> Agnes. <laughs> Uh, and my last one, actors born this year, Colin Farrell and Reese Witherspoon. I feel like Reese Witherspoon is younger than that, but I, maybe hey. she just doesn't. She's age. held she's held together well, hasn't she? Yeah, that's a weird way of phrasing. <laughs> she's a handsome woman. <laughs> she, no, she's very pretty, and she's actually uh, she's in the Apple Plus show. Um, Happy New Year, Happy Gilmore, little uh, little lady on the prairie. What's that show called? Morning Show. There you go. So. <laughs> I would have never, ever gotten that probably. Yeah, I, I don't know why that was the trail I took to get to morning show. But uh, she's anyway, she's on morning show. She's very good. High quality actor. And also she was in Walk the Line. I can't. I think she was nominated for an Oscar for that. I think Joaquin Phoenix won an Oscar for that. Either way, very good movie. And both of them gave top notch performances. So, what is your real synopsis? <clears throat> a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in the New York City, mm. where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underaged prostitute. Yes. And I'll, I'll say, I did, when... Uh, on the underaged note, when we were first watching through this movie, I was watching with Josh, and I missed the line. I was re-watching it before you came over here, and I heard the line, but I missed it originally, where he said that she's a 12-and-a-half-year-old prosty. Yep, uh, and when they filmed the movie, well, uh, I'll get into that trivia in a minute, but she actually was 12 years old. Yep, I, I've got trivia on that, too, so we'll see who gets there first. Okay. So my, uh, my bad synopsis, 70s were real weird. They were quite weird. Mine is Robert De Niro gets away with murder in this film. It's true. He does. Yes, he does. Yep. 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 Okay. Trivia time. I'm going to go first because you missed me earlier. <laughs> Martin Scorsese claims that the most important shot in this movie was when Bickle is on the phone trying to get another date with Betsy. The camera moves to the side slowly and pans down along the empty hallway next to Bickle, as if to suggest that the phone conversation is too painful and pathetic to hear. I actually have a timestamp specifically for that scene to talk about that. Nice. But I had a hard now you agnes me. <laughs> well, I didn't know, so it's not a proper agnesing. Oh, yeah. Intent is part of an agnes. Exactly. But uh, I'm glad that you have... I, I've got a few timestamps for this movie, mm -hmm. but this movie was just... There's so much that I would want to talk about. I couldn't timestamp anything, and I, I don't know. There's a huge chunk of time where I kind of gave up doing timestamps because... Like just there's so much. I don't know what is more worth talking about than other things. Yeah, no, there there's a lot to unpack with this film. Like yeah. there, there's a ton of right. stuff to unpack. So I, I have part where I started to analyze this based on the films that hadn't come out when I had seen it originally and the parallels between the two films, which made me enjoy it more on this watching than when I watched it originally. Were those other films that you hadn't seen at the time that you are now basing your uh, interpretations off of, were, did they come out before Taxi Driver or after? After. I think they were inspired. Inspired by Taxi Driver. Like gotcha. Joker. Yeah. 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 I, and that was something, I can't remember when Joker came out. I don't remember if people were drawing the parallel between the two, but Josh did when we first started watching this. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was that's a really good parallel. 
I, th- I thought that the, the way the film just as its own entity, its own character, the cinematography and everything in the Joker felt very like taxi driver. Yeah. And just the, the inability to connect and yeah. understand societal norms. Yeah. Yeah. Very Jokery. Uh, and so our Joker was inspired by taxi. So it's taxi. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, and I, I thought that, uh, that was really cool that Joker did that. But were people talking about that when Joker came out? I don't remember them doing that. It was just, so this was a new thought I had when just watching it again. Maybe uh, maybe this episode we're recording now is going to diffuse itself into the public's consciousness and people will start talking about the parallels between these movies. I think they should. That'd be pretty cool. We're going to make the news. And not for, you know, not believing in birds. Huh? <laughs> There was a, a gentleman on a news reel that came was out. Was he a gentleman? Some, well, he, he was a, a boy type person. Boy uh, type person, gotcha. Uh, who is part of a movement of people who deny that birds exist. And they're basically tiny government drones. That's a lot to unpack and we don't need to talk about that today. Okay, so I think I saw a picture on Facebook that somebody posted that was a big billboard that says birds aren't real or something like that. There's a video to go along with that. Gotcha, okay. And so this is a not a joke. No. So I don't recommend this because it could lead to a lot of stupid people killing a lot of birds, but why don't if they think that they're not real living beings, why don't they go to a pet store and get one and open it up? Yeah, please don't advocate for that. that I don't be. advocate <laughs> for it. But uh, or go to like a, a middle school science class and mm-hmm. dissect one. Yeah, I don't understand the the theory. I did not do enough research into it to talk about it competently. That I don't know that you can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, this sounds like one of the more s- silly things that's uh, happened in the zeitgeist. Like everyone talking about how the world was flat. Flat earthers? Yeah, the flat earthers. That, the, that They're still around. Well, I know, but it was like a big thing that happened a few years ago. And I don't they know if it started to fizzle out. They recently actually came back in the media because one of the flat earthers was so bent on proving <laughs> That's the funny. flat earth. He was, he was bent? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't even intentional. Um, he was so uh, set on <laughs> disproving the curvature of the earth that he created some kind of man-made apparatus, like a jetpack rocket back thing, and mm-hmm. uh, killed himself on accident trying to prove. So when are the Darwin Awards held? Unrelated question. Um, anyway. Yeah. forgot how we got here. Oh, I read my first trivia like an hour ago. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what's um, your first trivia? The taxi driver famous line, you talking to me, line came from Bruce Springsteen. Robert De Niro improvised that whole paranoid monologue, including what would become the movie's most famous line. And the screenwriter, Paul Schrader, later said, it's the best thing in the movie, and I didn't write it. De Niro got the line from Bruce Springsteen, who he had seen perform at Greenwich Village just days earlier at one of the series' concerts leading up to the release of born to run when the audience called out his name the boss did a bit where he feigned humility and said you talking to me and apparently it just stuck in De Niro's mind so that's De Niro's story mm-hmm. which is probably more accurate than what I'm about to say but I have something to add to that which is that Martin Scorsese said that the origins of that was that it was improvised by him but he said that he got the inspiration from Marlon Brando mouthing words in front of a mirror in the movie reflections in a golden eye from 1967. Competing trivia. Exactly. So De Niro, I guess, would know more what his uh, intentions were. But Martin Scorsese says something different. So there you go. Battle. 
Jodie Foster claims that Robert De Niro would regularly phone her up and suggest that they should have coffee together. They would rehearse their lines for the diner scene over and over to the point that Foster would get bored. De Niro would insist that they would continue rehearsing and began introducing her to improv as a way of building her character beyond what was in the script. And she credits him. She, I think she gave a speech at an Oscar award ceremony or something like that where she gave De Niro credit for teaching her how to do that. So uh, there's some interesting... Her character was inspired by a real-life prostitute named Iris, who was also an underage prostitute. And she said that during the filming, Scorsese actually met with Iris, and Iris helped coach her in how she should act and what she should do. But they still were so uncomfortable about directing her character when they were acting because they didn't know how to tell her or encourage her to behave a certain way because they were uncomfortable making a 12-year-old do that. Yep. And one of the things that they did is they encouraged Foster to laugh or smile when she was unbuttoning Bickle's belt buckle just to make it seem like she was enjoying herself. And she said it was just she kind of had to take control over her own directions because people were just kind of unwilling to give her too many steps because they didn't want to say do this specific thing. Right. Yeah. No, that whole thing is weird of yeah. having a 12 year old girl be involved in filming these situations. Yeah. Now, I think in a later scene where things get kind of weird between her and Harvey Keitel. Yeah, the the dance scene. Yeah, they, she gets a body double, which I think was her older sister. Correct, yeah. So at least they had that. I don't know how much older her sister was, but at least she didn't have to do that scene, which I was thinking about it while I was watching. I was like, this is a brutal scene for someone that young. Yeah. Also in that scene, I will say something that was really distracting for me. Harvey Keitel's uh, crack nail. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I have got some good trivia for Harvey Keitel. Oh, really? It's Well, it's, I say trivia. It's part of the quiz. It's just something that I noticed, and I think this is going to be the thing that nobody has ever cared to know. And I think Matt wouldn't even get this question correct, so we'll see. <gasps> yes. Oh, and speaking of uh, her shadowing the other underage prosty, people thought that the reason that she was putting sugar on her jam sandwich was that she was just being childish. Mm -hmm. And it was actually something that the uh, the real Iris told her that she used to do when she was coming off of heroin highs and stuff like that. She would put extra sugar on her jelly sandwiches because it would help her. That's really interesting. So I always, the jelly scene, I was just like, jelly's so sweet anyway. Mm -hmm. like, I was thinking the same thing. And then I was like, well, you know, I've watched some James May videos because he's got a, a channel on YouTube called Food Tribe. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the sort of things that they would used to do in like the 70s. And he said that they used to have sugar sandwiches. And so I thought it was something like that. But apparently it wasn't. She said that this was a character choice that she took from talking to the real Iris. Sugar sandwiches, so like bread and sugar only? Or? I think it's uh, bread, butter, sugar. That's interesting. So my mom told me when she was younger, she said she would spread butter on a saltine and put sugar on it. Interesting. I mean, that's a makeshift cookie, I guess. I tried it. It was horrible. It sounds like it'd be horrible. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you're Dunkaroos, living... Dunkaroos, please. <laughs> if, you, if you're living in the dark ages of the 70s, yeah. maybe you had no choice. Well, and my mom also lived abroad at that time she lived in Italy. So I'm like, you have nothing but good food around you. Just why? <laughs> why would you do the saltine? <laughs> Yeah, that is such a shame. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste. Anywho, Robert De Niro, De Niro, worked 15-hour days for a month driving cabs in preparations for this role. He also studied mental illness and during his time off when filming 1900, visited a U.S. Army base in northern Italy and tape-recorded conversations with Midwestern soldiers so that he could pick up their accent. 
And apparently when he was driving cabs for the month that he was doing that, like he had already done The Godfather, you know, so he was kind of a big name, but nobody recognized him for the most part, except for one struggling actor that did recognize him. And <laughs> he was, he recognized him. He was like, you just won an Oscar. Is it really that hard to get work? <laughs> he didn't know that he was researching for a part. Oh. So he was uh, apparently kind of dejected. He was like, wow, it's really tough out there. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong, but no, I'm sure De Niro could get work. And in fact, I didn't write this one down, but he originally took, uh, signed the contract for this movie for $35,000, I think. And that was before he won the Oscar. So after he won the Oscar, he was getting offers for other movies for $500,000. So he could have potentially asked for a raise, but Columbia Pictures didn't have the money for that. <laughs> so if he did ask for the raise, the movie wouldn't have gotten made. So he was like, eh, I want this movie to get made. And so he did it for the small amount of money. Same amount of money that everybody else got, I think. Wow. And of the actors on the film, Jodie Foster was actually the one with the most amount of work behind her before filming. She had done 12 films before this. Yeah, she started at two. Yeah. And so that that's the other kind of funny thing about the whole she needed like a therapist on set to make mm -hmm. sure she was okay during this role. And like everyone was kind of forgetting that she had the most experience. Well, even yeah. if she's got experience, it's good that I'm glad to hear that they were doing all of that yeah. to make sure that she was okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, it was good that she had that experience so she could direct herself when other yeah. people were uncomfortable to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say she gave a very good performance. Absolutely. So I want to take a moment to talk about John Hinckley Jr. Who? John Hinckley Jr. is someone who developed an infatuation with Jodie Foster after watching Taxi Driver yeah, boy. and to try to get her attention had an assassination attempt on March 30th, 1981, trying to assassinate at the time U.S. President Ronald Reagan and actually shot and wounded him, but didn't kill him. Oh, so but he did that to get her attention? Yes. Why did he think that those two events were related? Well, he had tried before and realized he needed to do a big act, just like De Niro's character in the film. Uh, he had to... Well, De Niro went to her pimp. Well, he was... So he so, could have gone to her agent. So the, the parallel is more, I guess, between him trying to get the attention of Shepard, Sybil Shepard. So he he knew he had to do a big act to be seen. But, it, but, it, but the, the thing that he did with Betsy or Shepard was to go into her building and talk to her. I, I can't make what Hinckley did make sense because in no world does it make No. <laughs> but uh, he wrote her a letter that said, over the past seven months, I've left you dozens of poems, letters, and love messages in the faint hope that you could develop an interest in me. Although we talked on the phone a couple of times, I never had the nerve to simply approach you and introduce myself. The reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I cannot wait any longer to impress you. Okay, so firstly, how old is this guy? Secondly, how did he already get in contact with her several times? Thirdly, why did he think this would impress her? He stalked her. Uh, so Foster ended up getting accepted to Harvard, and he moved to New Haven, Connecticut, and found out where she was staying at the university and would leave her presents and messages and notes. Was he about the same age? But, I mean, she's at Harvard at this point, so... Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't that long from the filming, so it, this was in 1981, um, and this film came out in 76, and she was 12 when they recorded. So she would have been about 18. Yeah. I mean, no, nothing about that is not creepy. <laughs> oh, no, it's all creepy, but I, yeah. I'm just... Obviously, this guy had several screws loose, but why did he think that killing a president that was not related to her would impress her? 
I don't know. He wasn't right in the head. No, he but was, I, I and I present nothing he says is going to make rational sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if he had a statement, if he wrote like a note somewhere that explained why he thought this made sense. It was just a big gesture. So he was 26 at the time. Just a big gesture. <laughs> it's like I want to date somebody, so I'm going to kill that guy over there. That's got nothing to do with any of us. Have you tried chocolates? <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> we probably tried that though. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if chocolates doesn't work, it's assassinating the president time. I mean. <laughs> We, we each got to try our own thing, I guess. You know, <laughs> everyone's a little different. So the story was partially autobiographical for Paul Schrader, who suffered a nervous breakdown while living in Los Angeles. He was fired from AFI, basically friendless, in the midst of a divorce and was rejected by a girlfriend. Squatting in his ex-girlfriend's apartment while she was away for a couple of months, Schrader literally didn't talk to anybody for weeks. He went to porno theaters and developed an obsession with guns. Schrader was working at the time as a delivery man for a chain of chicken restaurants. Spending long days alone in his car, he felt he might as well be a taxi driver. He also shared with Bickle the sense of isolation from being a Midwesterner in an urban center. Schrader decided to switch the action to New York City only because taxi drivers are more common there. He's a little too similar to the the main character of this movie, who is someone I would not want to be on the same street as. No, but good psychopaths, you wouldn't know that they're a psychopath until it's too late. Not to say that you would want to be on the street with them, but you wouldn't necessarily know. Well, yeah, yeah. but I'm saying if I, if I, now that I know this about this fella, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd want to be on the same street as him. Yeah, no, no, definitely would not. He seems the type to snap. A little bit, a little, <laughs> little bit of a hair trigger. Yeah, he seems the type to go up to a pimp. And I mean, until he got shot, Kaitel had a very good attitude about the whole thing. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he was real positive. I mean, he was a pimp for an underage prostitute, so you can't like him too much. No, oh, no, absolutely not. He's <laughs> disgusting. But, um, no, yeah. but Har- honestly, Harvey Kaitel's performance was in a weird way kind of likable. Obviously, the character is... He was endearing for a pimp? He was endearing for an underage pimp handler man yeah but uh no it, obviously the the character is totally disgusting yeah. but uh harvey Keitel's just a, as a performance it was something that I, I i liked his performance yeah anyway yeah so paul schrader not a not a pleasant gentleman i wouldn't say but there's a part two to this so go ahead so before becoming a star de niro thought about writing a screenplay himself one of the ideas he had a lonely man wandering New York City with guns and dreaming of assassination. It never went any further than that idea, but it was an eerie coincidence when De Niro found Schrader and Taxi Driver a few years later. So De Niro basically had the idea for doing something similar, never flushed it out, um, and then this script was delivered to him, and he's like, better just go with yours. It's better than mine. <laughs> he got has Agnes. He, ever, he got Agnes. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, had, has he written a movie slash directed a movie i I feel like i should know this he's only directed two films a bronx tale and the good shepherd all right so i was telling you about paul schrader Mm -hmm. and how kind of unhinged he seemed to be yes now let me tell you about martin scorsese (laughs) oh god that's the silhouette man in the back of the car (laughs) okay so the legend of martin scorsese Mm mm-hmm So, apparently, the clash between Martin Scorsese and the MPAA and the executives at Columbia Pictures over the violent content in the film has gone into legend. And it's apparently very well known. I didn't know about it, but let me tell you. One of the biggest rumors that when facing getting an X rating from the MPAA and having to edit the film, Scorsese stayed up all night drinking with a loaded gun in his hand, Mm. preparing to shoot one of the executives at Columbia Pictures the next day. 
After an entire night of persuasion from his friends, Scorsese decided to mute the colors in the violent climax of the movie and subsequently got his R rating. There are many variations on this legend, one saying that Scorsese was planning to take his own life, another saying that he brought the gun into Columbia Pictures and threatened the executives until they relented. Nobody knows the real truth, but there are many rumors of such a nature. So part of that is in our matter of facts. Okay, well, so that's all I've got on that topic, so let Matt scoop me. Okay, so our good friend, Mr. Matt Fontaine, and my dear friend, who I've known many years now, sometimes joins us in the conversation and gives us matter of facts. And usually those are based on more famous or epic films. The more ubiquitous classics. Exactly. So it was partly based on the diary of Arthur Bremer, which we just... So Arthur Bremer tried to kill... Oh, no, I didn't bring that up. Uh, I, it was, I said that it was partially autobiographical for Paul Schrader. So Paul Schrader, but also for Arthur Bremer, who tried to kill Governor George Wallace. Yeah. Harvey Keitel rehearsed with pimps to prepare for the role. The scene where sport and Iris dance was improvised and is one of only two scenes in the film that don't focus on Bickle. They originally, when it was to be directed by Robert Mulligan, going to have Jeff Bridges as the title role. So Paul Schrader originally wrote the part of Travis for Jeff Bridges, but Martin Scorsese had originally wanted to hire Dustin Hoffman. I just know Dustin Hoffman to be so lovable. It would be hard for me to see him as anything but lovable. But he is another method actor. It's like uh, if you, Tom Hanks as Bickle wouldn't work. I don't know. Because, I mean, he is a very lovable, most of his characters are very lovable Mm -hmm. in one way or another. But, I mean, he's done more kind of edgy roles. And I feel like he's another, like Castaway, for example. That was, he put himself to the extreme. I feel like he's one of those actors that if he put his mind to it, I feel like he could pull off most roles. I just, sometimes I do have trouble separating my love of the actor with the role. So like seeing Stanley Tucci play such a horrible character in the Lovely Bones movie, I was like, it didn't work for me because it's it's Tucci and I love Stanley Tucci. (laughs) (laughs) I love him too. But yeah, I mean, I feel like he's another one that maybe is not on the same caliber as Tom Hanks slash, you know, De Niro and some of the Dustin Hoffman. But, you know, he I feel like he, he's a very good actor. and Oh, th- very good is just because I love them, I mm-hmm. don't want to see them be. <laughs> well, that was kind of your argument for William Zabka in, yeah. in Karate Kid. Yeah. He's not the bully because I like him so much. Yeah. <laughs> Leather and spice. Leather and spice. All right, so Robert De Niro says the final shootout of the scene took particularly long because of technical problems, but also because the humor that arose from the tension created by the carnage in the scene was making everybody crack up. They barely had the money to finish the film and considered making the movie black and white to save money. How expensive a process in the 70s was colorizing a film? I don't. Oh, well, did he mean that it would save money from colorizing? I mean, well, this is revealing a little bit of my ignorance on just on the process, but I'm pretty sure that there were different film stock, some that could only be black and white unless you artificially injected color later Mm -hmm. but then there was color film so were they talking about saving uh, money after they'd already filmed but they still had post-production to do or were they just talking about uh, upfront budgeting out and saying we might not have enough money to finish this they wanted to record it on black and white videotape to save money so i I think they anticipated the cost of the film gotcha okay So I do know that this movie cost $1.8 million. That was the budget for the film. And only, I think it was a quarter of that money went to talent. So they had a bunch of money left over. I wonder what they did to save money instead of going black and white. 
I wonder if they had to take out different like location shooting or something because... Well, yeah, because to rent a New York City street would be prohibitive. And I don't know how often they actually did that for this movie. There were some scenes where you would see like his car taking off into the street and maybe they had to rent out the street for that. But for the most part, especially when you're just seeing his face or like him in the passenger, it might have been a backdrop and artificial lights and stuff like that making it look like he's driving. So I don't know how often they actually had to, but... That certainly would be expensive. I will say that this time watching it versus when I watched it before, I got more anxious about him watching the road because I'm like, watch the road, you're going to get an accident. <laughs> hey, man, he did it for a whole month. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, he does. I trust him, but uh, <laughs> should I? <laughs> In Paul Schrader's original screenplay, the characters of Sport, the Mafioso, and the Hotel Clerk were all black. Martin Scorsese felt that combined with other events in the film, this would have stacked the deck too much toward racism and suggested that those characters be changed to white men. And Schrader relented. You know, I think that that's true because there's times where De Niro's character is just kind of looking and sneering, but he seems to do that majority with the different people of color in New York City. Well, his monologue near the beginning of the movie was pretty, it was racist and homophobic. So, and I don't know how much of that is from like just being an average dude in the 70s. That's just kind of part of your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if he's like more racist than the average person. Yeah. But yeah, that's that stood out to me at the beginning of the movie. It made me not very sympathetic with him <laughs> right no. off the bat. Oh, no, yeah. He's not a likable good guy who had a downfall. Like, I yeah. feel like where Joker was a little different is you felt something like uh, yeah. like pity. Well, kind of. There's a similarity even between their, their characters in the source of their problems mm-hmm. where the Joker had mental health problems and a system that didn't care and couldn't cater to him. Mm-hmm. And similarly, I think that Travis was a veteran who couldn't reintegrate into society and there wasn't a system in place to help him do that. Yeah. And like you could tell the the whole not sleeping thing. Right. Yeah. So Scorsese had already begun pre-production of New York, New York when he shot this movie. New York, New York. Mm -hmm. The city so nice that people go visit there all the time. It's a hell of a town. Steven Spielberg visited the music recording sessions of this movie to tell composer Bernard Herrmann how much he admired his work. And the prickly Herrmann responded, Oh, yeah? Then why do you always use John Williams in your films? (laughs) Well. The emphasis was mine. I don't actually know how he said that. But he said prickly, so. Well, Bernard Herrmann died the night he finished the score on Christmas Eve. He also did the score for Citizen Kane, Vertigo, Psycho, and many more. So I guess they never had the opportunity to work together after that discussion. His very first film that he scored was Citizen Kane, which is the hell of a film to start with. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so when they filmed it, they didn't know Citizen Kane was going to become the Citizen Kane. Well, yeah, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I mean, super cool. But so it was not the regular soundtrack that they finished right before he died. They had already finished that. But Martin Scorsese said that he was looking for a kind of ominous tone. So they rented out an orchestra for one day and they paid him a full day just to make one tone. And it was after the recording of that tone that several hours later or whatever, he died. I just thought it was interesting that they <laughs> they pulled everyone together, paid everyone a huge amount of money just to make one sound. And it was important sound. It, yeah, it was. I think you touched on this a little bit earlier. Paul Schrader said if he directed, it would have ended with more surrealistic and crazy amounts of blood sprayed all over the walls and kind of more of a samurai death with honor kind of feel. 
Well, it sounds like Scorsese wanted that too, but the MPAA wasn't having it. No, they had to tone down that blood. So apparently, Sybil Shepard had a really hard time remembering her lines. De Niro started getting fed up with her during the lunch scene because of how many times she flubbed a take. Scorsese had to start feeding her lines off camera so that they could get a decent take out of her, which is a little embarrassing. Yeah, she was not my favorite part of the movie, Sybil Shepard. No. Although I will say, I didn't hate her, but... She was there. She was background art on the wall. So the scene where Scorsese is in the back of the car talking about shooting the silhouetted woman, he actually got the idea for that scene from another movie. And during De Niro actually coached Scorsese on how to act during that scene. So they, uh, the lines about, you know, letting the meter run and holding him to do things and guiding him, but without touching him, that was all De Niro coaching Scorsese on how to act that scene. I, I like that. That's very interesting. And I thought his acting was great. Yeah, but so creepy. Oh, very so creepy. Creepy. Very creepy. But, I mean, no, wonderfully done. No, yeah. No, I wasn't trying to detract from the goodness of it. Yeah. Except to say, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he played a hell of a creep. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I've got one more, and then we can get to the quiz. In an interview with Robert Ebert, or Roger Ebert, I should say, mm-hmm. upon the film's release, Martin Scorsese called it my feminist film. Because it it takes macho to its logical conclusion. The better man is the man who can kill you. This shows this kind of thinking. Shows the kind of problems that some men can have. Bouncing back and forth between their perception of women as goddesses or whores. That's interesting. Yeah. But I I would not call this a feminist film. He might have been tongue-in-cheek. I'm not really sure. But, I mean, it's it's not really a feminist film. It's more of an anti-toxic masculinity sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I could see that, but... But, yep, there you go. So, now, quiz time! I wouldn't applause yet. I haven't gotten those answers right. All right, so here we go. You, I think you're... Well, you're definitely going to get at least one of these questions right. What relation did the actor who played the clerk at the porno theater have to De Niro? What relation? I didn't know that there was a relation to them. So I don't know. It was his wife. Oh, yeah. I, I did not know that. There you go. I wonder if Matt knew that. Probably. He knows Matt, a lot of stuff. Matt, if you're listening, get on the RTR community face place and tell me how much of this you didn't know. <laughs> so he usually says, sends it to me in a private message. No, no, no. You got to put yourself on blast. <laughs> We're putting your skills to the test and you're on the honor system so you can say I knew everything. Mm-hmm. But I encourage you to be honest. So question number two. Uh-huh. Where did Martin Scorsese appear in the film? In the back seat of the cab. There you go. Uh, a little bit of tidbit on that, though, that I put in here was mm-hmm. that he had to sit on a pile of blankets so that he could be seen over the back seat. He or is over a the little front man. Seats. He is a very little man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little man, big personality. Yeah. Question number three. What was the wizard's advice to Travis Bickle? To get drunk and get laid and you'll be fine. There was more to it than that, but basically. What was like, the thing he said at the very end? It's like, I don't know what you want from me. I'm just a taxi driver. I'll give you that point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said that I drive a cab because that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're two for three. Question number four. What is the name of the senator who is running for president? Oh, God. Um, I'm try- I-, I can see it in front of me and it's going to drive me insane. It starts with a P. You're yeah. on the clock. No, no, it's okay. I- I'll-, I'll give it up. Uh, Pal- Pal- Palantine. Correct. Oh God! <laughs> you did get there. That was the, that just, was a eleven. That was an eleventh hour. It hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like. All right, uh, three of four. 
Question number five. What was his campaign slogan? We are the people. Not we are the people? No, we are the people. It sounds the same to me. We are not paying for these buttons. All right, you're just being a jerk now. <laughs> All right, four for five. Question number six. In what branch of the armed forces did Bickle serve? The Marines. All right, five for six. Question number seven. What does Bickle buy for Betsy? He buys her a record of the mu a musician that she compared him to when they had their pie and fruit plate date. I shall need to know the name of that artist. That I can't give you. Not even if you still want it? And I, I know that it has an S in it, but I... Steven I Seagal? No, it's not Steven Seagal, but I couldn't tell you. Okay. It was Chris Christopherson. Not an S. <laughs> well, there were S's in it. Chris Christopherson. What is Iris's nickname for her boss? Easy. Oh, uh, her boss. So, sport and John. sport. Sports the right answer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, she told him go see. I think John is what she said, but then she's like, sport is what I call him. Right. Yeah. All right. So you are six of eight. Question number nine: What does sport call Travis? Cowboy. Seven of nine. Seven of nine. You are a Star Trek character. <laughs> All right, question number 10, and this is the real one. This is the one that Matt, I guarantee, will not know. <laughs> that means I don't have a chance. No, you don't have a chance. I, I'm telling you now, you don't have a chance. There's no reason you should. <laughs> That's mean to conclude it then. <laughs> no, no, there's one more. <laughs> How many times did Sport wipe his mouth? Got it. it he wiped to, his face a ton. It had to have been at least 30 because like, it was just like, mm, mm. Yeah, so he was wiping his face a ton, mm -hmm. and he wiped his, he dabbed his mouth a lot. But I'm talking about specific hand going up incidences to his mouth. So he he, he would like wipe his mouth and like go side to side and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about each wipe, mm -hmm. just each event of coming up to his mouth. It had to have been at least ten. Like it, it felt like the whole scene. I was like, "What is wrong with your face?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll just give you the answer. So it was not that many. It felt like it was. Most of his wipes were on his face, like his eyes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I think he was trying to indicate that he was sweaty. Mm -hmm. Sweaty. But he kept also like wiping his mouth, like opening his mouth, going like, uh, like this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. He'd had four separate instances of doing that. Oh, okay. So only four, but it felt like a ton. He felt like he was just constantly like wiping around his face in different places. Yeah. It, it, it amused me. So I went back and counted. <laughs> Yeah, well, so, Matt, uh, I guess we should have said pause the audio after the question until you answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you are, what, 7 of 10? Yes, but yes. You, that was a question you said I wouldn't. That's not really, it wasn't fair, but it was a question, so what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> question <And that's> 70%. <laughs> question number 11, what is the name of the gun dealer that Bickle buys from? Oh, God. Edward? Is that your answer? Edward, yeah. Easy Andy. Andy. That's, I think it was the E. You, yeah, exactly. So Easy Andy. All right. So you are 7 of 11. 7 of 11, Allison. That's still pretty good for uh, you. And these are hard questions. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a tough quiz. Uh, you did pretty well. Everybody give it up for Allison. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I, you for not agnes <laughs> I think I agnes you on number 10, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think the best you've done was on Karate Kid. Did you get all of those right? Or like, yeah, I think I got all of them right, yeah. I th no, I think you missed one. I think you didn't get the name of the town in New Jersey. That's right. 
but no one cares about New Jersey. <laughs> I have family in New Jersey, so, and they listen to this podcast. No, I was kidding. That <laughs> <laughs> was just Josh, and I love New Jersey. Go there all the time. Actually, for uh, horror conventions, I do. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, Act Three, movie. Oh, no, no, no. So, just a quick review. Yeah. I gave this a nostalgia rating of 5 out of 10 Ooh. with a reel of 7.5 out of 10. My Zach predicted ratings. His reel would be a 7.5 and I said his heart would be a 7. All right. Good, good, good. Good, 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 good. All right. So my first one is Tree 09. You're first. Of course I am. <laughs> Agnes. No reason why I should be. Oh, one thing I, I got to get a couple ounces in. <laughs> <laughs> got to get a couple ounces in me. You sound like a jock. Or dirty. <laughs> oh, I was going for like, he's down in like a protein shake or something like, gotta get a couple ounces in me before I lift this iron. He's also a cowboy. All right, so this is like this is my timestamp. And there are many like it, but this one is yours. Uh, metal, full metal jacket, yeah. which I have not seen. I've seen the end of it like three times where the dude goes crazy in the bathroom. Yeah. I don't know why I've seen that like three or four times, but I have not seen the rest of the movie. My guess is it's because it's referenced so much in pop culture. No, I mean I like I've either it's been on when and I like come in when somebody else is watching it or something like that. I haven't sought it out. Mm. So here is uh, we've got De Niro. He's come into this little uh, I guess what is the taxi cab headquarters of the world. He's standing a little Defaro from the clerk. He's standing what? A little Defaro, De Niro, Defaro. <laughs> He's trying hard not to laugh. I'm trying hard not to go crazy right now. <laughs> you, the fans, love me, right? <laughs> Please tell me you like me. Someone has to like me best. <laughs> anyway. All right. So anyway, he's in the taxi cab headquarters of the world, and he's talking to this dude with really impressive sideburns about getting a job as a cabman. Mm-hmm. A cabbie. I think cabman sounds better. Cabot. Cabot? Mm-hmm. Cabaret? And he's giving him these weird questions, and he responds to one question in an unusual way. Let's listen. How's your driving record? It's clean. It's real clean, like my conscience. Are you going to break my chops? Bust my chops, break my chops. No, no, no. He said, how's your driving record? It's clean, real clean, like my conscience. Mm-hmm. What? He doesn't sweat a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean that he hasn't done anything bad, just that he doesn't feel bad about it. Yeah, Jiminy is awful quiet up there. But what kind of response is that? And then he's like, you're going to bust my chaps? Like, if someone said that to me, like, yeah, my driving record's real clean, like my conscience, I'd be like, good. I mean, that's good. <laughs> I would ask for clarity. Does that mean you haven't done anything or you just don't feel bad about things? I just don't know how he was busting his chops. Oh, I think that was just like an overall, like, are you going to be one of these ball busters? But he wasn't busting any balls. That's true. He was not. I was just. It was a. Prov- he wanted to know before hiring, are you the type of person? Yeah. Irrespective of the thing you just said, tell me, are you going to be busting my balls? You're going to be busting my balls. This is my standard interview question. Just answer the question. Oh, see, I didn't realize that this is not related to what he just said. This is just the next interview question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be busting my balls? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> You know, because imagine you're in an interview and you're uh, being interviewed by your potential new boss. Mm -hmm. They're going to throw some some zingers at you just to see how you react. So a separate question, Uh totally disconnected with what we were just doing. Do you find him handsome? 
Him being Robert De Niro. He can be. Not in this movie. There's times where he was, but then there's times like this where you're on the freeze frame where he just kind of looks kind of goofy. You know, there are many angles, I guess, on him where he looks like, especially when he was skinny and, and young back here, he looked like Luke Wilson. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Took me off guard. And speaking of, in The Irishman, when they digitally age him down, when I first watched The Irishman, first of all, great movie. I thought they did a fantastic job aging him down. It looked very realistic. But now watching an old movie of his, which I had not seen him young before, mm -hmm. he looks very different than how he looked in the digitally aged down. Well, in this movie especially, I think this is one of the movies where they made him at his thinnest. Oh, had he dedicated himself to become horrifically skinny like Christian Bale did for The Machinist? Not not horrifically, but I think the character of Bickle, you know, he is out of the Marines. He's fit, but his muscle probably has gone away from lack of use. And that when he's going through his montage of trying to train up for his big thing that he feels he has to do. Don't trouble with guys like you coming in and break my chops all the time. If you're going to break my chops, you can take it on the arches right now. You understand? Look, I just told you my conscience was clean. <laughs> Sorry, sir. I didn't mean that. Physical. Clean. Like right there. Luke Wilson. Mm -hmm. So he's about to walk through the cab establishment. And this isn't a criticism necessarily, but just notice when he's walking through, the taxis don't really make any noise. Mm. This is the 70s. So these are cars from like the 60s. They are loud mm -hmm. and rubbly bubbly in the engine. And listen, just as he walks by. It seems like it should be more of like a diesel-y rumble. Like you can barely distinguish the sound of a car coming close to the camera and him from the ambient noise in, in the garage. Mm -hmm. It just, it seems very weird. And he's about to get passed by another one here. Whisper quiet. They're the new electric cabbie. I was going to say, they all sound like hybrids. <laughs> but uh, yeah, of course, you know, when they were recording here, they're not using the audio from the recording on that day because it would be too crazy with. Well, especially in that kind ambience. of closed warehouse. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And on the streets probably too. So actually all the garbage that's on the streets and the sidewalks and stuff like that, this was made out to be a New York city in the film. That's very dirty. And he's obsessed with how dirty it is and it being cleaned away. So you would have thought that they would have dressed it up to look dirty, but apparently there was a garbage strike happening during the filming. Mm. So all the garbage on the streets is real. <laughs> they didn't have to do any dressing. Exactly. This was just natural now, New York City. I wonder if that was orchestrated. Oh, or oh, you think Martin Scorsese talked to the uh, the union of garbagemen? Yeah, and just kind of fanned that flame a little bit. He's like, you know what your boss said about you? <laughs> he said that you were dumb. <laughs> And not deserving of a pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> He's been thinking about firing you for some time. He also porked your wife. And he insulted your dog. And he insulted your daughter. Wow, I'm going to go on strike. <laughs> <laughs> and he hobbled your son. All right, see you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Do what you want. Bye. <laughs> I'm just going to leave the room and assume everything goes according to plan. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all right, so I, that's all I had for that timestamp. My next one is... We've got De Niro. He's back at his apartment, and he's monologuing. Now, I'm just here to make a cheap joke, so everyone prepare. Thank God for the rain, which has helped wash away the garbage and the trash off the sidewalks. I'm working long hours now, 
six in the afternoon to six in the morning, sometimes even eight in the morning, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. Maybe eight days a week. I don't know. It keeps me real busy. (laughs) It just seemed like he he could never get the the number right the first time. He's like, I do it like six times a week, maybe seven times a week. And I also like to work six days a week, maybe seven times a week, maybe eight (laughs) times a week. Oh, boy, I need to sleep. (laughs) But sleep eludes him. Speaking of parallels to different films, tell me that this does not sound so like the Rorschach speech in Watchmen. All the animals come out at night. Whores, skunk pussies, buggers, queens, fairies, dopers, junkies. Sick, venal. Someday a real rain will come and wash all the scum off the streets. They will whisper down to me, help me, and I will say back, no. I go all over. (laughs) I found it weird that he used like three or four euphemisms for gay. Yeah, amongst other things. Yeah, I mean, like, but he seemed like he was being diverse with his hatreds. Mm -hmm. And then, like, he stuck on gay for like four insults. Oh, and that, like you said, that could be symptomatic of mid to late 70s culture. Yeah. I took so many timestamps at the beginning just because there's a lot going on. There's just so much that's interesting. I mean, there was things that I was tempted to timestamp that I realized wouldn't make good audio, like the scene where he's having the interaction with the wizard, and in the background you see someone getting arrested and thrown into a cop car. Yeah, that's something I really wanted to rewatch this movie. Mm-hmm. And because I would notice, like, occasionally at the end of a scene, I'd my eyes would dart around into the background and I'd see other stuff happening. I really want to do another watch through where I'm just looking at details. And like the hobo fight. Don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, there's a, a scene where he's just walking and there's two gentlemen fighting and one of them. Were they gentlemen? I, I believe they were homeless people. And well, they could be gentlemen and homeless, but. I think what happened was um, one of them knocked the other person out and is dragging them off by their foot and no one is stopping to do anything about it. Would a gentleman do that though? No. Yeah. I I definitely need to just rewatch and and, and look for all these cool things, but there is one such cool thing coming up. Not in this one, but the next time. So I've set up the scene for us to first visit Sybil Shepard and her fella here in the office. Betsy. Betsy and whatever his name is. Betsy. Wetsy. Betsy and Wetsy. And the next time we see Betsy and Wetsy is when De Niro comes in looking to volunteer. And there's a cool little background detail. But for this one, I just kind of wanted to point out this is not really something that is going to be good audio, but just a visual for Allison to look at. Mm -hmm. So you'll see the interior here is very well lit. And the exterior is somewhat dim in comparison. There's a shadow under the car, like directly under. So it's like midday. Mm Mm-hmm. So my point here is that especially using cameras from the 70s, getting the exposure right here so that the lighting looks bright and even on the interior, but the exterior is not like completely overblown, but even to the point where it's looking almost dim outside. They must look, have been it using... It does look wet. Like the, the roads look wet. Yeah, it does look like it's raining out there, but that's going to make more ambient lighting, less direct lighting if it's cloudy. It would require them to use such bright lighting in here. I would love to see some behind the scenes. These guys are probably getting completely blinded right now. (laughs) It's impressive to me. Just the amount of detail you can get from the background with nothing being overblown. Really well done. And also the red in that office is just so garish red. Like it is, that would just drive me crazy to have as my office color. It's an aggressive color. I see. I don't, do you have a favorite color? 
I like teal and kind of purple cooler colors. I don't know. I don't have a favorite color. And in the same vein, I don't have a least favorite color. I don't have a color that I that I don't like to be around. Well, they say that certain colors can inspire different emotions. That's why uh, like McDonald's and Wendy's would have oranges and red because they inspired you to eat more quickly, to be more fast. It was something about the color kind of triggered that in you because you associate it with... They understood psychology was that something like red and yellow together would make you hungry. <laughs> and I don't know if that was something that they figured had been trained into them by the color scheme having been established for so long, or if that's just naturally something that happens in humans, which I doubt, <laughs> but I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that being in an office with red walls like that. It would just make me a little agitated. I think if I were surrounded by red walls and there were no windows, yeah, that would bother me. Yeah. Okay, so this is the very next scene where we come in and see Betsy and Wetsy. His name is actually Tom. I just. <laughs> All right. So Betsy and Wetsy and Tom. Well, t- Tom is Wetsy. Betsy, comma, Wetsy slash Tom. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to know the punctuation. I think we do. <laughs> I think we do. So he, anyway, De Niro has come in here and he's talking to Betsy and he has shooed Wetsy away. And when we were watching this, Josh was crippled by cringe. Oh, it's uncomfortable. I wasn't hit by the cringe so much, but I mean, it, it is painfully obvious that he doesn't know how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. But what's equally obvious is that she has been hurt by somebody in the past because she finds this normal. Or she's at least intrigued by it. Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Thanks. What do you think of Palantine? Charles Palantine, the man you're volunteering to help elect presidents. He seemed a little frustrated there when she asked. He was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just like you. Well, I'm sure he'll make a good present. I don't know exactly what his policies are, but I'm sure he'll make a good one. You want a canvas? Yeah, I'll canvas. How do you feel about the senator's stand on welfare? I don't really know the senator's stand on welfare, but I'm sure it's a good stand. <laughs> well, I'm sure. just watching what's in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice him there. Oh, <laughs> when he's dead center, that's when I didn't notice him. Oh, like he's like freaking out, like peering around. He's almost cartoonish. So the peering around the pillar is what I was going to point out, because that's what I noticed. For some reason, I didn't notice him dead center here. We're together here full time, day and night. So if you would just like to step over there. But that is like something about the performances, not something. But I mean, it's how great these performances are that I don't want to look away from them. I'm sure that the gentleman well, will I, sign you. The thing is, I, I drive a taxi at night, so it's kind of hard for me to... Um, to work in the day so uh, then what exactly do you want no, it seems so obvious like that he's standing there I can't believe I didn't notice it why why yeah I'll tell you why I think you're a lonely person I drive by this place a lot I see you here I see a lot of people around you and I see all these phones and all this stuff on your desk that means nothing and then when I came inside and I met you I saw in your eyes and I saw the way you carried yourself that you're not a happy person. And I think you need something. And if you want to call it a friend, you can call it a friend. You're going to be my friend? Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? What's he just walked by and like... <laughs> see, I didn't notice him again. I didn't see him. Oh, did, he just, he walks by the table and he just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Wetsy. 
<laughs> it's a shame. We never really got a resolution on like him striking out with her or like getting together with her or any follow up on him. She gives every guy that talks to her kind of the same affection or attention. So I was going to ask you, one, how would you respond to this guy talking to you this way? And two, what do you think of her and how she responds to him? So my reaction would be like, excuse me? Because I mean, genuinely, if you had someone coming up to you in your job now mm-hmm. and they said, I think you're the most beautiful person in the world. Let's have apple pie or something. But he didn't just say you're the most beautiful. He followed up with, I think you're lonely. I think that everything around you is artifice and you're desperate. And if you want a friend, um, if you want to call it a friend. Right. OK, so yeah. someone comes up to you. They're right in your face. What do you say to them? I would be affronted. Well, first I would say I'm married. But second of all, I would be affronted that someone, no one has the audacity to come up and be like, you're lonely. <laughs> like, that's just, you stink of How lo- do you know? You stink of loneliness. Like, But what would you say? What would I say? I'd be like, I, I'm, I'm working. Thank you. I have someone that I'm already seeing. You need to leave. And so Security. What, <laughs> and so what do you think of her and how she responded? It, it almost feels like she's responding to negging like that. That's the best way I can think to describe what his approach was. I mean, she seemed like she was interested even before he started doing that. Mm-hmm. She's given him a lot of sly smiles. Yeah. It, and I don't know if like maybe that's just her personality. Like she's curious or I, I don't know. I don't know why she puts up with it because we're. We're led to believe she's well-educated. She's from an upper-class family. She lives in upstate New York in a beautiful brownstone. Like, she doesn't need this. Yeah. So I, I have no idea why she's humoring him. If that were your friend, what would you say to her? What are you doing? He's going to murder you. <laughs> and if she said, oh, that's all right. I'm just going to go see a porno with him. Well. She didn't know. She, I know. she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go see a movie. What the hell? Like, I would have gone into the theater. Like, no, I know. Okay, so I think that's one of my timestamps, but we can just talk about it right now. So she thought she was just going to a movie with him. Mm-hmm. They get there. She sees the marquee. It's a bunch of... Why, why are we seeing this? Rocky just came out. <laughs> yeah, and so she's she, <laughs> she's looking at like all these porno names, and he's like, oh, no, it's fine. And why on earth did she go in? Well, the, and the other sad part of that is, in his mind, oh, I've seen couples here. Therefore... This is the thing that couples do. That was another thing. So he is, he's obviously very lonely, very isolated, and he doesn't know how to interact with people, but he observes people. How does he think that that was a right move? Because he's seen couples there and they seem happy and they seem intimate. And so in his head, that's just what couples do. But he's also an observer of the prostitution scene. Does he not think that maybe these couples aren't couples or? My assumption is that he probably doesn't understand the whole prostitution. Like, I, I don't know what keyed him into the problems with Iris being a prostitute. But in like there's there's prostitutes sitting outside the theater and in his head, because I guess they're in the theater and not on the street. It's not prostitution. I don't know. See, that wasn't my interpretation. My interpretation wasn't that him seeing people in there meant that couples come here for dates. Like he even like the, he was talking to the, the cab manager or whatever. And he was like, I'm lonely or whatever. I can't sleep. And he's like, yeah, go to a, a porno theater. And he was like, yeah, I've tried that. And he like laughed. So, I mean, he, he's he's got a response as if he knows that it's a, a kind of crazy out there thing to do. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So we're about to get invited to punch and pie. That sounds like a good boxing ring. <laughs> you just saw the poke. It's a little hard standing yeah. here and asking. So. 
peer pressure. Yeah, Wetsy just peeked around the Five pillar. Minutes, that's all, just outside. Right around here. I'm there to protect you. <laughs> Wetsy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just take a little break. Wetsy watch. <laughs> I mean, we need to do a, an entire viewing of this movie doing the Wetsy watch. That is so cartoony. That's his little uh, tufty right. hair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Outside, <laughs> yeah. Okay. He almost looks like Moss. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got a good afro going on. I wish I could do a, an afro with my hair. I don't think you're gonna get a perm. I might. I doubt. I threatened it. to get a perm when I was in middle school. You threatened to get a perm. Yeah. Well, I was like, I'm gonna get a perm, and my stepdad laughed at me for like a solid ten minutes. Oh, I could see laughing at you for the same reason. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a poor little kid in middle school who wanted to get a perm. Why did, was it for the same reason? That I wanted to look like Wetsy? Yeah. yeah. I really <laughs> respected Wetsy. I thought he was the star of this In movie. In Wetsy we trust. Exactly. Clock p.m. I took Betsy to Child's Coffee Shop on Columbus Circle. I had black coffee and apple pie with a slice of melted yellow cheese. I think that was a good selection. Betsy had coffee and a fruit salad dish. She could have had anything she wanted. 15000 so keep in mind that during this scene, she could not remember any of her lines. And mm -hmm. De Niro was getting really upset, and uh, Scorsese had to start feeding her lines off screen. Some volunteers in New York alone is not bad. Christ, the organizational problems. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I got the same problems. I got I'm wondering if she, was, she did look things, beyond him. I'm wondering if there was like a cue card. She keeps glancing kind of over here. I wonder if it's like right there. Get organized. You mean organized? Organized. Organized. It's a joke. O R G A N E Z I E Z D. Oh, you mean organized? Like those little signs they have in offices that say FIMC? Although it is odd that he would be upset at her. He's given a little tongue action. <laughs> He's doing a flip. <laughs> but it is odd that he would get upset at her for needing to read her lines off screen when Brando is famous for it. Well,. When you get to be Brando, you can <laughs> be ridiculous. <laughs> but you have to get to Brando before. Yeah. yeah. You have to achieve Brando before you can. <laughs> and I don't think Sybil Shepherd has achieved a full Brando. You don't think she's gotten to Brando status? Nah. Huh. What did she do after this? I mean, she made it all the way to Psych. If that's not Brando status, I don't know what is. I mean, she had her own show called Sybil. But she's done a lot, but just. None of it good. Well, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. No. <laughs> not Brando. She, not not Brando. Not Brando. Do you like the place you work in? Got some good people working for us. And I think Palantine's got a good chance. Mm-hmm. You know you have beautiful eyes. I'm having expecting Wetsy to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Just peer in through the window here. You work with? Oh, 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 like uh, like brother from uh, Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. How he would just pop up when they were getting intimate. <laughs> Otto. Otto, yeah. Yeah, but I know, but do you like him? Well, he's funny and he's very good at his job. He's okay. Though he does have a few problems. Uh, I would say he has quite a few problems. <laughs> it's so aggressive. Yeah, it is very aggressive. Going the wrong places. So, all right, you're on a date with a guy, and he, uh, you're talking about kind of your workplace, and you mentioned somebody that you like at your workplace, and... Your date goes, oh, I think he's got quite a few problems. Yeah, my note for that is like, okay, Bickle, pump the brakes. <laughs> 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 just, it just, he 
kind of has this this quick impulse control. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, I, I don't even think he is cognizant of kind of the jealousy factor that he's projecting. And it's like, you've known this woman for three seconds. I know. Yeah. And it's, so it's, I, I was wondering if, if he is aware or if he knows that he's jealous and he just thinks that he's right to be so, or if he's totally unaware of, of his own mental state. And then um, you look at what he said, like, oh, I say he's got a few problems. I'm wondering if that is based on his perceptions of the city delusion of the the muck and the mire of the city. And she is this one shining angelic beacon that he sees in it because, you know, he tosses a white dress clean is his problem. Mikey the censor would love him. (laughs) Is Tom Wetsy is his problem that he's part of this organizational filth. Or is it something well, so beyond is she? That? Well, but she's above it because she's the white dressed angel. Well, how is she above it? Well, other in, than what dressing in white? Well, no, in his mind, I, you never get to find out why he kind of right. Hearkens. Just because she's so pretty, I presume he he fixates on the fact that she. Yeah. But he believes that she is above the filth, and so my my question is: Is this a normal jealousy thing that he's saying? I think he has a few problems, or is it because of his projection of the city? The city is full of problems. I think if I had to hazard a guess at the psychology here, I think that he sees him as a competitor. <laughs> And so is perfectly able to interpret everything about him as flaws. I, I think that he doesn't like his appearance. I don't think he likes what he does. I think he holds every interaction with her against him. I, th- I think that's kind of the psychology there. When I walked in and I saw you two sitting there, I could just tell by the way you were both relating that there was no connection whatsoever. And I felt when I walked in that there was something between us. There was an impulse that we were both following. So that gave me the right to come in and talk to you. Otherwise, I never... The right to come in and talk to you. Right. Just such an interesting word choice there. Well, and I think he, I think that's in response to his own self-imposed feeling that he's... There's a grandeur. Like, uh, I'm above this, and I think you're above this. So I have the right to talk to you. I interpreted it as he didn't have the right before, as in she was either too good for him or he is not good enough for anybody. But the fact that he felt this connection gave him the right to interact with other people, namely her. That's how I interpreted that. I like that interpretation. I don't think it was something that he's seeing himself as above everyone else. I think that for the most part, he sees himself as someone who is not necessarily below everyone else, but just separate. He, he's not allowed to interact. He's trapped in the filth with everyone else, but he's the person who sees the filth and no one else seems to care. There's a, a ton to interpret, and that's beautiful about this movie. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? All right. Upstate. Just watch his mannerisms here. You want to go to a... Um, uh... What kind of animal begins a sentence Take and them. then puts food <laughs> in their mouths? And if this is the thing that Mikey the Censor would say, he is not human, it was this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he couldn't even open his mouth. <laughs> he has American cheese apple pie mouth. Hey, would you like to go? <laughs> no, no, thank you. I don't, I don't know. None of this is for <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> None of this is working for me. Look, be an adult, spit that food out, and then finish your sentence. (laughs) Or swallow. Nope, spit it out! Also, he definitely had cream in that coffee. It was not black coffee. He's a liar on top of everything. 
anyway, that's all I had to say. So my next one is <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to criticize his bad table manners. I like that that was worthy of attention because <laughs> I didn't even put attention to that during it because I was so uncomfortable about everything else. You asked Josh. I paused the movie to complain. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> I would like to also make sure that you, the listener, are aware we have two guest stars who are frequents in our show. One is Mikey the Censor. It's Mikey the Censor. He, he is our fan favorite. And then also in our last released episode, which was Best in Show, you got to meet our producer. Who knew we had a producer? I didn't even know. I know. It was a beautiful thing. Are, are you here today, producer? I don't remember his voice. <laughs> He almost sounded like a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> we just hired a little boy from the neighborhood yeah. to come and be our producer. And I want to say his name is like Arbutus or something. I think it was Axpin. Axpin. Axpin the producer. <laughs> so important that he produces us, but we don't know his name. I didn't even know he existed until that episode came All out. All these silly billies. They, just <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they didn't even realize what they were doing, the mistakes they were making. No, we absolutely did. We were just comfortable with our Help mistakes. Trust, we knew. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to impose the trailer into that, but I... <laughs> I know. I honestly, as as Axpin, <laughs> if I can get into the mind of Axpin, it was really late. And I was like, I don't feel like it. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Can't make me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there was a version of that, of my dialogue, where I talked about you wanting me to do that. And I was like, yeah, but she's not my boss, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Confrontational. <laughs> <laughs> but I took it out. <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt my thought mid-sentence for a bite of apple pie with sliced <laughs> American <laughs> cheese. <laughs> Oh, what an animal. All right, so my next one is 3442. Oh, I was just going to say, in this scene, this is one of the scenes where Bickle just makes me so uncomfortable, just how truly out of touch he is, and the fact that he just cannot connect to human beings. And, you know, I think we all feel like outsiders from time to time, but you can really just tell how out of place he is. <laughs> so Paul Schrader talked about the psychology of the character mm -hmm. that he was somebody who is suffering from just a crippling isolation and loneliness, but his personality, it, it kind of infuses itself into his personality and pushes away everybody who gets close to him mm -hmm. and just feeds into the loneliness and isolation all the more. And that it's just that kind of personality. I guess he lived through it. Yeah. Ugh. As we found out. So anyway, they're walking up to this theater, which the marquee says, Bold XXX Entertainment. Sometimes, sweet Susan. Explicit, provocative. Swedish marriage manual. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds filthy. The drummer guy had a very interesting yeah, slicked it. hair. It almost looked like it was made of wax. It did. <laughs> no, no, this, this is the... But, oh, oh, oh. So she just said, you brought me to a dirty movie with a smile on her face. Yeah. What's the matter with this woman? No, that's where you're like, not my scene. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say it with a smile on my face. Well, maybe I'd laugh just I, because it was it was kind of weird and, and uncomfortable. And maybe it was a joke or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it like questioning, oh, you brought me to a dirty movie? Thinking that maybe he's like, oh, no, just kidding. It's over here. Yeah. It's, it's across the road or something. But no, she's she's... Apparently down with the experience at first. Why did, I don't, she's walking out now as if she's totally above this, but she came in knowing what it was. Mm -hmm. And they interrupted the guy who was trucking. 
Did they? Yeah. See, again, I'm not noticing any of this background stuff. Damn it. The, the guy with the coat in his lap. <laughs> Where are you going? I believe now. Why? I don't know why I came in here. I don't like these movies. Well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't know that you, you'd feel that way about this movie. I don't know much about movies, but if I... Is this the only kind of movies you go to? Well, yeah, I mean, I come and they are, this is not so bad. Taking me to a place own. like this is about as exciting to me as saying, let's fuck. Um, there are other places I can take you. Plenty of other movies I can take you to. I don't know much about them, but I can take you to other places. Which is different. Wait a second, wait a second. I have to go. No. I gotta go now. Wait, wait a second. I want to talk to you. Look, I have to go. Wait a second. Taxi! Can I talk to you at least? I mean, will you at least talk to me? I didn't know you... Look, won't you take the record? I've already got it. But, but please... Please, I bought it for you, Betsy. Thanks, now Let's go. All right, so obviously, okay, so she has come to her senses, and she's been very firm about that she's not going to go on this date anymore. She's leaving. Good on her. Yep. So at this point, I kind of feel bad for him because I guess he really didn't know that this was going to go south mm-hmm. on him. Because he's so out of touch. He's like, this is just a normal thing. Which is just crazy to me. Like That seems more out of touch than I would have guessed he would be. I also feel like that theater was nicer than that kind of theater should be. <laughs> well, you know, after the movie is a different story. But anyway, so I, I feel bad for him because he didn't know that that was going to happen. And then he's been rejected. He's isolated. He actually got a really pretty lady to go on a date with him. And now he's been rejected and told that the gift that he got her, she already owns anyway. Yeah. Like everything just fell apart for him. Yeah. Like, and he's like, I have a taxi. (laughs) (laughs) Come in my taxi. I'll drive you anywhere. We can park next to a building, look up at people's wives. Learn about different revolvers and their impact on spouses. (laughs) And different parts of them. Yep. Which apparently some are better than others. (laughs) He's like, you've got it. Have you seen the impact of a a 44 Magnum on a woman's head? Have you? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what are you talking, you see, you're talking from experience right now. Well, and then the other part. and Yeah, and the other part. So that that's at least two wives, King Henry. Where are we going? <laughs> well, he, it might have been two shots on one wife. True. One would not necessarily affect the other. What was the order for King Henry, Henry's wives? Something beheaded, survived. Some- the first one survived. Second was beheaded. There's a cadence to it. It's like something beheaded, something, something beheaded, something. And I can't remember the order of the somethings. Oh. Uh. Thank you for that suspiciously terse introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers, sisters, comrades, thank you all very much for coming to my history lecture. My name is Christopher Stitchens. I have been summoned here from beyond the grave to settle an historical fact that seems to be perplexing somewhat to Zach and Allison. Now, unfortunately, my time is somewhat more abridged than it would normally be were I standing in front of you in person. However, I have been given limited time from Lucifer himself to give you this information. So listen closely before I am recalled to hell. The order in which King Henry VIII's wives were dealt with, rather euphemistically phrased, I'm afraid, is recounted rather splendidly by an old schoolboy poem that goes like this. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. And there it is. Oh, 
Yes, I think I hear Beelzebub behind me calling my name, so I'm afraid I must dash. But if you ever have another historical or literary question, please do not hesitate to summon me, Christopher Stitchens, back from the nether realm. Thank you so much for listening. Now, back to these two rather uncouth American yobbos. <laughs> this isn't a history yeah. lesson. <laughs> we can watch the other Bolin girl at some point. Was that the other Bolin girl with uh, with Natalie Portman? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. I read the book too. Oh, I didn't even know it was a book. Yep. But yeah, I like the movie. Scar Joe again. Scarly Joe. That's right. <laughs> All right. Anywho. So dirty movie. Sad, sad. Poo-hoo. 3657, The Awkward Apology. I remember when we were being taught about this scene, the important to note, notice how the camera pulls away, that the director intended this to be pulling away because it was too embarrassing to keep watching. Yeah. And even though the camera does move away from it, it is just so uncomfortable. Like, he he's almost searching for a reason why she left. I just assumed you had a bug or mm-hmm. like, I didn't know. Even though she explicitly said that she yeah. didn't want to watch that kind of movie and that it was about as enticing as saying, let's fuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this guy. But I, I have to say like the evolution of the phone. Now. I was exactly what I was about to say. Agnes. <laughs> you Agnes <laughs> me again. <laughs> when we were watching it, I actually paused. It's three different generations of phones. Yeah. The first one is like a hello operator. <laughs> the next one is the rotary. And this one's a payphone. Yeah. Put it. That's right. Put it, put, put it down. I didn't understand this whole thing where he wanted the, 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 the fare or the, what do you call it? To keep the meter running. Uh, meter. That's what I was looking for. So it looks like they're still moving around. Oh, does that do something to the sign on the outside to indicate that they're not just sitting there? Yeah, it uh, it changes the sign to that they're not accepting a new fare, and it uh, keeps the bill going. See, I've ne- I've never been a cab person. I've never I've never hung out around cabmen. I'm an Uber kind of guy. Uber Lyft. Yeah, no, I mean I've been to New York City, but. I think we caught some cabs there. The time I rode in cabs when is when I was in England, London. Um, yeah, samezies. Yeah. But did they have signs that said anything in particular on the outside? Not that I could remember. Yeah, I don't remember. It's also old school cabs. I don't know that it's new school cabs. Right. That's right. Why are you writing? Don't write. Put the thing down. Just sit. Also, yeah, why was he upset about him writing? Probably because he didn't want notes being taken about this area or this interaction. I didn't tell you to write. I didn't tell you to do anything. I just said, pull over to the curb. When we pull over to the curb, we're going to sit here. We're going to sit. On his blankets. (laughs) He's got an intensity about him. Yeah. You see the light up there? The window? The light. The window up there in the second floor. The one that's closest to the one that's closest to the edge of the building. The light up in the, the window. Camera slowly panning second across story. the building. What, are you blind? There's a woman in silhouette. Do you She's lighting light? a cigarette. I think yeah. this is a home alone situation. I think that's an inflatable woman. She's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you see it. Good. You see the woman in the window? Do you, do you see the woman in the window? 
Yeah. You see the woman? Yeah. I want you to see that woman because that's my wife. But that's not my apartment. It's not my apartment. You know who lives there? A very bad word he's about to say, no, and I'm trying to talk over. Saying, but you know <laughs> oh yeah, if you'd like a, a trigger warning for uh, naughty language, this uh, whole scene is naughty language. <laughs> but he's about to say a it, very he's going to drop anti- a racial slur. Yeah, lives there. Huh? A nigga lives there. I like that. And I'm go- I'm going to kill him. There's nothing else. I just, I'm going to kill him. Now, what do you think of that? Hmm? I said, what do you think of that? Don't answer. You don't have to answer everything. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her with a 44 Magnum pistol. I have a 44 Magnum pistol. I'm going to kill her with that gun. Did you ever see? Did you ever see what a 44 Magnum pistol would do to a woman's face? I mean, it would fucking destroy it. Just blow it right apart. That's what it can do to her face. Now, did you ever see what it can do to a woman's pussy? And that you should see. <laughs> now, that you should see. That you should see what a 44 Magnum is going to do to a woman's pussy, you should see. For some reason the delivery there, it mm. sounded like it went into like a Woody Allen bit or something like, <laughs> Oh, that, that you should see. <laughs> oh God. I cannot imagine a hybrid Woody Allen Scorsese film. <laughs> How great would that be? It would not. It would be lovely. <laughs> no, it would be horrible. It would be this. It would be- <laughs> I know, I know you must think that I'm, you know, <laughs> you must think I'm pretty sick or something. Yes. You, know, you must think I'm pretty sick. Yes. Right? You must think I'm pretty sick? Yes. He never responds. <laughs> and I was like, while I was watching this, obviously this is the first time I'd seen this movie, so I didn't know what was to come in the future. I was debating with myself what he was thinking. Like, is he sympathetic to this guy? Because he just lost a lady too. Mm-hmm. And in his mind... He's he's probably still stewing about the fact that he's got Wetsy as competition, and he thinks that maybe Wetsy is taking advantage of the situation. So I I was just really trying to process where his mind might be. Well, he absorbed some of what was said here because, like, and later in his gun discussion, shopping for guns, I think some of that was motivated by this discussion. Yeah. So in a way, I think he is susceptible. I mean, he got the forty four Magnum. Yeah, because of this. Right. Yeah, so I just think he is susceptible to the different people around him. So, like, he absorbs some of his character like a sponge because part of him probably believes, oh, I can connect to this human. I'm going to emulate some of this and be more human. I wonder if that that was a part of it. I think it's also that he just had the rather unpleasant, for him perhaps traumatic experience of being rejected by the woman that he was obsessing over. Certainly didn't help. So he's he's processing that in the same way that this guy is processing that his wife is cheating on him mm-hmm. in his mind that it, those events might be equivalent. And since he's clearly almost or as deranged as Martin Scorsese's character, maybe he thinks that that's the appropriate response. Whew, I'm glad it isn't. <laughs> right? I bet, I bet you really think I'm sick, right? You think I'm sick?
You think I'm sick? <laughs> you don't have to answer. I'm paying for the ride. You don't have to answer. <laughs> I think he never I'm does. Midget, you know, he's very, very well dressed. Italian. Apparently, this diner was a real hangout for real cabbies, cabmen, and it was torn down. And they've built apartments there with the same name. So one thing that I found interesting is to walk into this establishment, you had to get a ticket. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything quite like that. So like, what watch as Bickle comes in. Good looking, got a beautiful tall blonde. Was it a lady midget? No, the guy was a midget. The blonde was the lady. Oh, the, I, I, I mean, the lady. I had a timestamp on this. Just because that guy laughed at the very concept of midgets. Yeah. Um, it, he said midgets are funny and then just started laughing. He's such a creepy looking like his teeth yeah. like there's some, and his mustache. Like. And the sideburns and everything about him. He is a failed uh, smoking in the band. Burt Reynolds. He's uh-huh. a failed Burt Reynolds. Look oh, yeah. at him. He couldn't quite get the stash in. Yeah. And and the face is not as I handsome. I mean, to, to have a full Reynolds stash, though, like that, that, that is a luscious mustache. It is. And he also had the good sideburns and stuff. But you yeah. also have to be able to pull off bell bottoms. And a cowboy hat. Oh yeah, uh, you haven't seen Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. That that no, is, I have not. Yeah, is is he in that? Yeah, oh. playing opposite Dolly Parton. Are we going to be watching that at some point? I'm torn. Why? Because uh, it's a musical, and I, I've noticed that musicals are a little hard because we can't play a lot of the music. True, true. Although I see it's so confusing because I listen to other podcasts and they play songs. Okay, well let's let's do it. Let's live on the one because there's other musicals I want you to watch like Cabaret and The Music Man. So what I've read, the reason that I've, I've been so cautious about putting music on our podcast is because what I've read is for the most part, podcasts get away with just playing music. Mm-hmm. Unless you reach a certain amount of success, nobody's looking at your podcast. Gotcha. But if you do at some point reach success, all of your back catalog will then be judged. Gotcha. So if we do music now and then in the future, we, we may rack up huge amounts of fines. So I'm, I was being cautious about that, but I don't know. This Star Trek podcast I listen to, it's hosted by celebrities. It's a big podcast and they play just straight up music on it all the time. So I don't know. Well, let's examine a musical soon and then you can. If we need to, we can always feel. just take it down. Yeah. Which, you know, it'd be a shame, but we could do it or eventually cut out just the music part of our musical episodes. Yeah, and if we take it down, it'll have the same amount of listeners. Sometimes I like to hold a midget. Yeah? I mean, they're funny. They always want to sit in the front seat. That's a stereotype equivalent to you Americans are all the same, always overdressing for the wrong occasions. <laughs> Midgets like to sit in the front seat? Uh, Obviously, midget isn't the, the correct politically term, correct yeah. term to use, but what type of any kind of person would is there a stereotype of what seat they want to sit in in a car that's well, so weird specifically a cab <laughs> like because in a cab no one wants to sit in the front seat yeah that's just such a weird stereotype i have more questions red shirt man <laughs> i know maybe he's still poor if he, man's burt reynolds poor man's burt dime store burnt reynolds i wonder if he's still alive we can send him a letter <laughs> dear sir <laughs> <laughs> dear dime store burnt reynolds why on earth were you going on this strange tangent what on earth was that about? <laughs> In 1976, you said. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> For the script you didn't write. And he writes us back. Dear Mr. Scorsese. <laughs> then I pick up these two fags, you know, they're going, they're going downtown. Yeah, he picks up a little ticket. Rhinestone t-shirts. I just, I've hey. never seen an establishment that had that kind of setup. 
I guess it makes sense because immediately you come in, you get a number. And if this is a, a bustling place during the day, mm-hmm. everyone gets a number. Nobody can cut the line. Well, that's true. That's kind of nice. Yeah. And then you give the ticket to the clerk behind the counter. and Look at this clerk behind the counter. Judge him for his weird glasses and hair. <laughs> I think life has judged him enough. <laughs> yes. Uh, God has judged him <laughs> and found him wanting. <laughs> Start arguing. Did you, did you have more in the scene? No, okay. I just we, we I had mentioned the ticket thing, and you the ticket said, thing was such a small kernel, but we had we found so much content here, so much delight <laughs> in this otherwise murky conversation that's really inappropriate. All right, so my next one is fifty six forty five. All right, so we've got Robert De Niro. He's up in the apartment buying some guns from this illegal gun vendor, and he's squinting down the sights of some pistols. During World War II, they used this gun to replace the P-38. Just given a- And I want you to look at this still frame and tell me what's wrong. So for everybody listening, for the maths of the world who, who want to know what I'm talking about, there is a problem at 5645-ish mm-hmm. where he is looking down the barrel and squinting the wrong eye. Oh, yeah. He's wanna- squinting the eye that would be looking down the barrel and his other eye is open looking around his nose at the gun. <laughs> yeah, I I never paid attention to that. That's interesting and weird. Yeah, that's a weird little mistake. I mean, he's not a guns expert, so perhaps he wouldn't have known. He was I, a Marine. No, no, I'm sure. saying the actor, oh, Robert Genero, De Niro. Yeah. So he, he, I guess you, he can be forgiven for making that mistake. Although he did do you know a lot of research. I feel like he would have known that sort of thing. But, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just an interesting little tidbit. Little a goof. little, a little kernel, as you said. A little goof, a little goof. You know, that's an interesting thing. This movie had probably had some very interesting goofs, and I didn't look at the goof section on IMDb. I probably should have. I don't think there was probably a lot of goofs. What? I'm gonna look up the goofs right now. Oh, actually, the first one on the list was one that you brought up. The first time Travis has a coffee with Betsy, Travis's voiceover states that he had black coffee. A few moments later, you see milk coffee. C. I don't know why that's such a big C for me. <laughs> C, I believed you. <laughs> you were saying it as though I was uh, rejecting. You denied you it. You denied it. Uh, another goof about the, the gun scene, apparently. The black market gun dealer misidentifies the, the .38 Astra Constable, in his case, as the Walter PPK. Hmm. The guns are very similar, so it would be an easy mistake or a deliberate lie. He tells Travis the Walter PPK .38 replaced the P-38 as the standard German military sidearm in World War II, which is false. The P-38 is a full-size pistol replaced by the P-08 Luger as the standard military sidearm. The PPK was a compact pistol for use by police. PP stood for Polizi Pistol. Not as a combat sidearm. There are so many numbers and abbreviations in that. Yeah, that that was a lot of gun talk that I'm like, "Eh." Well, anyway, there was some more mistakes in here. See, when I think goof, like, I think of just like, you know, break up comedy moments that. Oh, no, no. Goof is a mess up in in the movie, either a factual mistake or an inconsistently a continuity error, things like that. But, you know, every movie is going to have continuity errors because you use multiple takes, different things are happening in the background, different levels of drinks, cigarettes, things like that. For the most part, continuity errors are lame. Uh, that's all I had for this was that he was squinting the wrong mm-hmm. eye. <laughs> thought that was interesting. So this is the scene where we've got Robert De Niro here. He's working out. He's trying to get himself in match fit state so that he can assassinate Emperor Palpatine. My body, too much abuse has gone on for too long. From now on, it'll be 50 push-ups each morning, 50 pull-ups. There'll be no more pills. There'll be no more bad food, no more destroyers of my body. 
From now on, it'll be total organization. Every okay, so this is, I'm putting a still frame. He's got his arm hanging over the stove where the flame is coming up and burning his arm. And first of all, I want to know, since there's no CG, was he actually doing that? that or was it slightly fort. off to the side? Yeah, I think it's a forced perspective. Possibly, but who knows with De Niro, he's a very dedicated person. He might have actually done that. Yeah. But why would anybody do that? It's a test of will. But You're forcing yourself to withstand the pain to meet your end. Why? I don't know. I don't. You're you're trying That's to so psycho. Odd. <laughs> you're trying to give a rationalization to someone who is not rational. Well, it's true, but I mean, he's doing pull-ups, which is rational to accomplish bigger muscles mm-hmm. or at least more toned muscles. The, this is a mental exercise for him. Yeah, I guess that's just. It seems so odd. It seems like the mental exercise for him would actually be to do all of the real exercising and to go through with his plan. Yeah. And to construct all of his MacGyver devices. I just found that to be super odd. But yeah, he is super lean. Look at him. Yeah. He said he cut out all the bad food. I'm like, I, I don't feel like... He... No, but he said he was going to stop taking pills also. Yeah. You you saw a giant stack of pills beside his bed at one of the earlier scenes. He's already talking about the fact that he can't sleep. And I don't think going off... I'm assuming he's on some sort of antipsychotic. Who knows? Maybe they're sleeping pills. Maybe they're... Maybe he's just taking uppers. But it looked like there's been a couple scenes after he got off of the pills where he was sleeping. There was two scenes where he was sleeping with his boots on and the knife strapped to his leg. That could be related to the pills... Or maybe it's that he now has a purpose Mm because he said at the beginning of the movie that he needs a purpose and that's why he's getting more jobs and stuff like that. I feel like maybe that was something like he was in the military and always had he was being told what to do. His life was regimented Mm -hmm. when he got out. He didn't really have a purpose anymore. So he felt aimless and stopped sleeping and whatever. I I always found it interesting that he's taking pills and eating bad food and stuff like that, going to porn movie theaters, but has the audacity to look down on other people for being the garbage of the city. Yeah. Over-awareness and at the same time, lack of self-awareness. Right. Yeah. Bickle has created different holsters and straps and quick releases and is practicing a speech in front of a mirror. So I found it interesting that he made all of these like weird kind of like spring-loaded things for the guns to pop out of his sleeves. Mm-hmm. Because in practice, when he used them, he, he had to make three motions for the gun to actually come out. He was like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. It feels like it would have been faster to just reach somewhere and grab the gun. So I wasn't really sure what that was accomplishing. Well, that one was fast. I'm standing here. You make the move. You make the move. It's your move. You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, then who the hell else are you talking? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Oh, yeah? Huh? Okay. Huh? 
Listen, you fuckers, you screwheads. Here is a man who would not take it anymore. Who would not let... Listen, you fuckers, you screwheads. Here is a man who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the cunts, the dogs, the filth, the shit. Here is someone who stood up. Here is... dead like they even had an interesting cut during that take where it was like he was resetting his speech like preparing it and just rewinding himself to Mm -hmm. get the delivery right it's just interesting so the trivia that we read I may have not read this last part, but he said that obviously it was improvised, but I don't know that Martin Scorsese knew he was about to improvise anything because the script said he looks in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think he just started doing that. And off camera, Martin Scorsese was egging him on saying, I like this, keep going. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if they did multiple takes of that or if this was the, like the first and only just iconic moment birthed out of nothing. He was practicing in a mirror, practicing in a mirror, and came up with it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But who among us can say that we haven't done that? Practice guns in a mirror or that specific speech? No, practice anything. Like, practice talking in a mirror. Uh, Or maybe not even in a mirror, just talking to yourself. Yeah, I would talk to myself. I I don't like looking at myself in the mirror. Yeah, I I, I don't do it in the mirror, but I I talk to myself. Yeah. I even respond to myself. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, we can't do this, Zachary. (laughs) Yes, we can, Zach. We can't. <laughs> Not a word of a lie. <laughs> All right. So we've got De Niro in his cab looking at uh, Jodie Foster walking along the thing, and then he's got out and he started walking next to her. You looking for some action? Yeah. You see that guy over there? Yeah. Right. You go talk to him. His name is Matthew. I'll be over there waiting for you. Okay. All right, so my immediate reaction to this guy was that this guy looks, or Tommy Wiseau was obviously ripping this dude's look off. (laughs) Officer, I swear I'm clean. I'm just waiting here for a friend. You gonna bust me for nothing, man? I'm not a cop. There's a white. There's a white. I suppose that ain't a 38 you've got in your sock. 38? No. I'm clean, man. Shit, you're a real cowboy. (laughs) That's nice, man. White. So, right. $15, 15 minutes, $25, half an hour. White. Shit. Cowboy, huh? I once had a horse in Coney Island. She got hit by a car. (laughs) (laughs) She got hit by a car and then shrugged like, yeah, what are you going to do? My horse got hit by a car. It happens. Yep. Get a leave it. If you want to save yourself some money, don't fuck her. We should be back here every night for some more, man. She's 12 and a half years old. You ain't never had no so I missed that the first watch through that she was 12 and a half years old. See, like that. You can do anything you want with her. You can come on her, fuck her in the mouth, fuck her in the ass, come on her face, man. She get your cock so hard, she'll make it explode. Wipe. But no rough stuff. All right? Wipe. 
Well, I'll take it. Hey, man. Take out no money over here. You wanna fuck me? You ain't gonna fuck me. You gonna fuck her. You give her the money. Yeah. Catch you later, copper. What'd you say? I'll see you later, copper. I'm no cop, man. Well, if you are, it's entrapment already. Huh? I'm hip. He's such a weird <laughs> You don't look hip. <laughs> Luke Wilson? No, I was a uh, Kaitel. No, I know, but he looked like Luke Wilson there. <laughs> You're obsessed with the Wilsons. <laughs> wipe. You're a funny guy. What's that? We did another wipe. Oh, we got another wipe in there? But looks are on everything. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Have a good time. So Jodie Foster apparently was so mortified about the clothes that she had to wear as Iris <laughs> that um, when they went into the costuming area and she tried it on for the first time, she cried. Because, because it was ugly or revealing? Revealing. Oh, I see. Well, so yeah, and I think that some of those scenes where she had to start like taking it off, I think that was her sister doing that. Yeah, body double. So my next isn't just the hardest scene to watch in the movie because of Jodie Foster. Well, I shouldn't say the hardest. The The scene with Harvey Keitel is worse, but this is still difficult to watch is a child essentially having to prostitute themselves. Oh, that's all right. I'm going to get you out of here. So we better make it or Sport will get mad. So how do you want to make it? I don't want to make it. Who's Sport? Oh, that's Matthew. I call him Sport. I have to say, I think he wasn't fast enough to stop her. Yeah, it, it was kind of weird. He took too long to process. When it came into my cab, you're the one to want to get out of here. Well, I must have been stung. Why? What do you mean? They drug you? Oh, come off it, man. What are you doing? Don't you want to make it? No, I don't want to make it. I want to help you. Well, I can help you. Damn, man! God damn it! Shit, man. What the hell's the matter with you? Listen, you don't have to make it, mister. God damn it, don't you want to get out of here? Can't you understand why I came here? I, I think I understand. Uh, I tried to get into your cab one night, and now you want to come and take me away. Is that it? Yeah, but don't, don't you want to go? I can leave any time I want to. Well, then what about that one night? Look, I was stomped. That's why they stopped me. Because when I'm not stoned, I got no place else to go. So they just uh, protect me from myself. Okay, I tried. Hey, look, I understand. And it means something, really. Yeah. Oh, look, can I see you again? 
<laughs> That's not hard to do. No, I don't mean like that. I, I mean, you know, regularly. This is nothing for a person to do. All right, how about breakfast tomorrow? Tomorrow? Uh, I get up at about 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock? 1 o'clock. Ah. Well, I got a, a thing I don't... Come on, do you want to or not? Yeah, I want... Uh, okay, all right. Okay, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock. Okay. See you tomorrow. It's just so oh, weird Iris. that the only person that he connects with is a damaged 12-year-old girl. She's somebody that he can save, and maybe that's all he needed. Like, he needs a purpose, and she was the first one that he really was aware of that he could, he thought that he could do something about. Yeah, that's accurate, I would say. So I, after watching it now, I would say the scene with Harvey Keitel is harder to watch. The, the, the dancing scene? scene? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, this is this is brutal but the the dancing seems so psychological more psychologically damaging yeah yeah so i i take it back but i still think that was an important scene to watch absolutely yeah Yeah. also when he threw her like it was like she weighed nothing like she did weigh nothing i mean she's a 12 year old girl yeah yeah. uh okay so my next isn't until 142 so his mohawk looked terrible i'm curious about the mohawk like, why did he do it? Yeah. Was it just a little cool or was there some movement at the time that he would kind of identify with that mo- mohawk? So I wondered if it was to look different because the secret guy made him. The secret service guy made him. So it, Possibly, it was I guess. a very different appearance. Right. But it did make you stand out more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes you stand out more. And I feel like there were other ways of making your appearance look different. Like other hairstyles to do before going to a mohawk. Mm-hmm. Or even completely bald. Yeah. Or a military haircut. Something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were other options. I'm just curious why he, he chose the Mohawk. Okay, so this is the shootout. So everybody's already dead, and Jodie Foster is kind of cowering in the corner of the room. De Niro's been shot, and he's about to slouch onto the couch. So real quick, um, yeah. when he comes into the building, there is the keeper of the hotel or the apartment or whatever we want to call this. Did you notice that when they shot off the fingers, they did it in the exact same way that Sybil Shepard described the bodega owner lighting a cigarette? Yeah. Or lighting a match. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say that the the effect seemed to have been a mannequin hand or something. It was very brittle. Mm-hmm. So it, when it shot crumbled. off. Crumbled. Yeah. The, the fingers crumbled and the rest, the, the hand stayed completely still. That effect maybe could have been done better, but I, the effects of the 70s. Like if, if it was made of wax, it may have also done a better job. Of yeah, it. wax might have been better. Yeah. yeah. Silicon, but I don't know if silicon was a big thing back then. Probably, Probably not. not as much. Yeah. So uh, Bickle has just been shot. Well, he was shot downstairs mm-hmm. and he had the little shootout with that dude. He came upstairs. Somebody came from behind, shot him again. She begged him not to shoot. Yeah. And then he shot the, the dude that was kind of the gatekeeper. And so now he's sitting on the couch <laughs> and I guess he's just kind of given up on life at this point. He's just going to kind of slump over. <laughs> then the cops come in and this is the scene that the MPAA wanted to give it an X rating for. So going into the porn theater was fine. Well, they blurred out the porn, except for bottoms. Yeah, except for later when they show writhing pile of people. (laughs) Yeah, but writhing is not showing penetration. Anyway, so it seems like he's kind of accepted his fate. Cop walks in. He points... This kind of seems like slow motion. And this is where they toned down the red. It was more vibrant red. Yeah. 
Nero's got a finger to his head and is shooting. His hand is literally dripping with blood. Yeah. So he kind of makes the finger gun to his head as if to say, just shoot me. I don't care. Mm -hmm. So I guess I still don't quite understand him. Did he want to die? Did he come in here not caring whether he really left alive? This was just kind of the final mission and he wanted to complete it. And if he died, that's fine. As long as he completes the mission, like the kind of military aspect of it. I mean, I think part of him anticipated not surviving this or his assassination attempt because he sent the money to Iris. And so- but that confuses me because he ran away from the assassination attempt when he was made. Mm-hmm. He probably could have whipped his gun out and got a couple shots off. And yeah. if he didn't care about dying, why didn't he go through with it there? Yeah. And, and maybe he decided in the moment, this isn't as important as saving Iris. Yeah, Maybe. I don't. I, I guess I just never really completely wrapped my head around his frame of mind. It's also hard to wrap your head around someone who's not rational. I guess I, it's. I well. I mean, obviously, there are some people that it's it's hard to because they're just erratic. Yeah. So you can understand their mindset in a given situation, but then it completely changes up later. So maybe that's all there is to know that it was just erratic and he wasn't thinking properly. Mm-hmm. And maybe he expected to leave, but at this point, he had just kind of accepted things. But shortly after this, I'm going to fast forward to 147.30. We get to hear the sweet letter from the dad of Iris. Yourself a most welcome guest in our home. Our deepest thanks, Bert and Ivy Steensma. Okay, so that was the grateful letter. But so I can understand why they would be grateful. But why is everybody else cool with it? Because maybe they didn't peg him for the assassination attempt and they just saw him as this white knight saving Iris. Yeah, and so I'm fine with like nobody knows that he tried to assassinate the president, but maybe his maybe the papers would try to paint him as kind of a, a folk hero. Yeah, you know, taking back the neighborhood, a vigilante, a Batman. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But hey, I want to swap tires. And he seems to be blending in better. Yeah. Why don't you throw in something else? So he's hanging with the cab, Your wife. his, his cab buddies his wife again. Is New Jersey. Like nothing happened. He just went on a killing spree. Yeah, he killed some bad people. But he just went on a killing spree. Yeah. And these guys are like, yeah, whatever. It's New York. People go on killing sprees sometimes. And you know what's really funny is people who are differently sized and abled. <laughs> exactly. How hilarious is that? That should be the butt of all jokes. But no, okay. I so, started that riff and I... <laughs> <laughs> you regretted it? Uh, no, so, it, so he's been completely accepted and reintegrates with everybody in the cabbie. And cabbies are weird people. We can, we can appreciate that. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's laugh at cabbies for, <laughs> for accepting people who do killing sprees. But the, the lady woman... Sybil. Yeah. She was cool with him too. Yeah. Well, and he didn't do any jail time. He did zero days in jail. Isn't it great to be a white man in I, America? Exactly. <laughs> what other explanation is there? He went on a killing spree. Nobody cared. He Not must have w- had one hell of a public defender because you know he couldn't afford. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He had. He had Saul Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the only part of the movie I didn't like. Just there was no repercussions. Absolutely no repercussions for going on a killing spree. Which to me and was- being caught. Which would solidify in his head that he was doing the right thing, that there was no repercussion. Yeah, exactly. So he might do it again. But he was caught by the police right after doing it. Yeah. Blood all over himself. Yeah. Didn't do a day in jail. Nope. Blows my mind. He's reaccepted by the cabbies. 
He's even reaccepted and, and seen positively by, by Betsy. Mm-hmm. And that, that almost bothered me more than anything else. He's rewarded by everybody for Ex- murdering people. Except Wetsy. Well, we didn't see Wetsy, but he might have come around on him. It would have blown my mind if he was waiting for Sybil Shepherd at the end of the walkway when they're dropped off at her home. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just wanted to shake your hand. You did a real fine thing. <laughs> well, I just want to show my appreciation for all the good things you do for the neighborhood. <laughs> Oh, Wetsy. <laughs> oh, Wetsy. <laughs> anyway, all right. So that's the last proper uh, so, uh, sound. <laughs> timestamp. I couldn't find the word timestamp. Uh, but I do have one final weird little timestamp. And this is right in the credits. He's just dropped off Betsy. Wetsy's waiting for her inside. And he is driving off into New York City. Amazing. And he quickly whips around. Mm-hmm. And stares into his thing. That confused me. What What was the whip around about? Like, I think watching her walk away. But he looked like he was surprised. Like, it wasn't kind of like a, you know, looking up and adjusting to look back at her. He was just driving along and then just quickly went. Yeah, it almost was like, is there someone in my back seat? Yeah, it was weird. It seemed suspicious. And then the movie just ends. Yeah. And I was so confused by that. Yeah. It bothered me, but I, I filed a lot of his bizarre actions on the fact that he is not well. Right. And I guess I, I kind of wanted to dig into certain things more than maybe were intended. But I feel like Scorsese thinks a lot about, I mean, the-, the Everything s- has an intention in a Scorsese. Yeah. And De Niro, with especially with some of his bigger works, he cares a lot about his roles and thinks about everything. So I assume everything has a meaning and it probably does, but maybe it wasn't meant to be understood. Which is immediately. possible, because uh, sometimes they'll throw in those things because they want to cause confusion. Right. Like the lyrics to I Am the Walrus. Well, everyone knows what that means. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, you don't know what that means? They made that because they were tired of schools analyzing their songs as poetry. No, it was, it was a metaphor for the Vietnam War. Do you actually not know this? What I read was different, but go on. No, it was a me- I'm kidding. I don't actually know. Okay. I was like, I was like, <laughs> what I read was they were tired of their songs being analyzed like poetry in school right. instead of enjoyed as music. Mm-hmm. And so they created something that was so symbolic that had no meaning. Respect. All right. So that's it. Let us go on to act four, the rose-tinted fields. Oh. Nope. I take it as- nope. There we go. Oh. Rose-tinted fields. Allison, when did you first see this movie? I first saw it in college, so that would have been probably around 2007. Oh, the year the iPhone came out. Oh, there you go. So I, I judge everything pre and post iPhone. That was <laughs> 2007 was the year that technology changed, and that was the, the introduction of the iPhone. And But you said it was under the context of seeing it for a class? Yes, so it it was, uh, we watched it individually, and then we watched it together where we had Ted McCoskey kind of helping us understand some of the nuances of the film and different things that were important to take away from it. So watching it in a classroom setting like that, I learned a lot about it, and I appreciated it, but I actually found myself enjoying it more this time around. Okay, Um, and do you think that was because the framework of analyzing it for a class took some of the fun out honestly it was because at the time when we had watched it there weren't enough contemporary films that i could draw a parallel to it 
But this time I was drawing parallels to the Watchmen and Joker. So I I found it more interesting Mm. because I had the different things that I noticed in modern cinema taking from it. So it was like my mind was more engaged with it this time around. It's a challenging movie to watch in a lot of ways. Like there's just a lot of dark theming, strange and unstable narration that Bickle gives us and slurs for everything under the sun and then just the pedophilic nature of what Jodie Foster's character was used like just there's a lot of uncomfortable things Uh, what do you think about filming a movie where a little girl or a little boy I mean a, a kid essentially has to do something very grown up so I I would say where I've seen it kind of successfully done the shining not that danny had to do adult things but there were so many dark themes happening around him it really requires a very understanding director and patient and kind and actually working to protect the benefit of the child so like um i don't know if you saw the room uh, not the why so but the is there another yeah, there's there's one that is Brie Larson is a girl who's kidnapped when she's 16, uh, Captain Marvel. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. She was also in Community. I've started watching Community recently. Yeah, oh, I, I love her character in Community. I love Community. I told you you would. I, I, I in my mind, I was equ- equating it to Parks and Rec, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not a huge fan of Parks and Rec. Oh, okay. Like, it's okay, but it didn't draw me in. Community immediately drew me in. Oh, I love Abed. Yeah, yeah. Abed's great. <laughs> Troy and Abed in the morning. <laughs> There's not even camera crews. <laughs> uh, so in that film, Brie Larson is a 16-year-old girl who is kidnapped, raped repeatedly, and locked in a room, and she gives birth to a son. And the boy, you know, a very young actor, had to be coached on kind of being in this environment and understanding what was going on. So what do you think of the ethics of putting kids so in, in a in a situation like this movie where you can't get around having the kid being involved in the adult situation and certain touching and right so what do you what do you think of the ethics of doing that with actors that are very young that's a big question yeah because i mean it's in the service of a story and you're doing everything you can to make sure that they understand what's happening they've got control over a situation that there's a therapist there for the aftermath of it right it's hard because sometimes stories are important to tell. Right. But I just feel like there has to be some lingering emotions to certain films like this where if adult actors have trouble breaking from the damage of a role like Heath Ledger. Right. Part of me appreciates the art and the storytelling and some actors, even at a very young age like Jodie Foster, knew that they wanted to tell stories And Jodie Foster has since, you know, just talked about how she's appreciated this opportunity. It made her grow up faster, but she learned so much, Mm -hmm. even about herself. And so I think that the only way it can be done is if we have extremely responsible directors and producers making sure that the psychological needs of the cast members are met during the film and even after And if there's anything we've learned from the stories that Corey Haim and Corey Feldman have told Mm -hmm. is that there should be a lot of oversight on how children are on a movie set. Absolutely. And that's not not even during dark movies. That's anything. Yeah. Just being in the industry. Yeah. So what were your overall thoughts on the movie? 
Well, I love the comparison to the Joker, and that's it makes me want to watch that again. I haven't watched it since it came out. I remember thinking it was a fantastic movie, very dark, but I can totally see the parallels that the treatment of mental health as the kind of crux of the storyline, not in an offensive way, but showing a damaged person doing damaging things while kind of being an anti-hero. It's a very interesting story. And like you were saying, just around very negative, dark themes. I think it's fascinating. I thought it was beautiful. I love this movie. Hey. But I mean, I see what you mean about it being, you said, I think on a previous episode when we were talking about doing this, that it's a very hard movie to get into and watch. It's very depressing. It very much is. I str- <laughs> you should talk to Mark about how I was like, I know I assigned it. I'm not up to it today. <laughs> Watching it. Because, you know, I, you have to mentally just kind of be in that zone yeah i thought the on the dialogue front the dialogue was all captivating and all felt very grounded and real my thoughts on the usually in movies voiceover is kind of a crutch Mm -hmm. and it's kind of indicative of the the narrative needing like a band-aid it didn't make sense without the voiceover but so much like blade runner wouldn't make sense without voiceover yeah and so I, i i don't know if that makes this movie an exception or if it just had an inbuilt crutch Mm-hmm. Or if that theory of voiceover being a crutch and detracting from the quality of a movie is not true, at least not in every case, because I thought that it made sense, obviously, for this movie. He was always keeping track of the journal. It wasn't an afterthought, the, the voiceover. I didn't think it was a big deal, but I'm curious what you thought. So uh, to me, the voiceover and the way that it was used was very reminiscent of film noir, the kind of gritty detective feel to it. This whole movie had a... N- film noir kind of feel to it to me so it seemed in place even though it was a modern story not that kind of 40s noir yeah although the noir feel was the handling i guess of the cinematography capturing that noir feel from the very first shot where you i think it goes from the columbia logo to black and then you see like smoke and then the cab comes through the smoke Mm -hmm. oh my god was that a cool shot yeah it was so beautiful (laughs) Well, and even the music seemed noir age kind of. Yeah. And I normally chest. don't like that. Yeah. It puts me to sleep, but I thought it, it was beautiful in this movie. Really well done. Excellent. Yeah. I'm glad that you liked it so much. Yeah, me too. I, this could have gone either way. <laughs> <laughs> so did it contribute something to Simina? I really struggled with this answer. Um, well, the answer is yes, but go ahead. Well, I mean, that that's the, the ultimate conclusion that I came to, but I was having trouble articulating and defending why it did. But this was a reimagining of a noir film for modern at the time feels. A lot of films take away the flavor from this movie and just the, the way that Scorsese orchestrated kind of the ambience of this grungy, dirty city and the mental disparity of the lead characters. I don't think I've seen anything like it before this movie. I haven't either. And that's exactly why I said yes. I mean, it's not just the subject matter. It's not just it being a noir, because obviously there'd been noirs before. But I mean, it's how you do a thing. And it it is hard to capture in words beauty. You know, this set a standard of cinematic beauty for this specific genre, that's worthy of saying it contributed something to cinema. If you reach new heights of stunning visuals, pacing, storytelling, acting, anything, the full package of this was immaculate. You know, how can you say more than that? I'm getting like a sense of like mom pride. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I didn't create it, but it was still, you know, more the... uh... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Do you think anything needed to be changed for a modern audience? I wrote some things for this. The answer is no. So I don't think anything would need to be, should need to be changed. It's a dark story and it explores the darkness of a certain subset of humanity. And that should be allowed to be told anytime. You know, Joker did this same sort of thing recently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it stirred up controversy because of that. But I think it's a perfectly valid avenue of uh, artistic expression. And it can be handled beautifully like it was in this movie and like it was in The Joker. So I don't think anything should need to be changed. If it were made in 2021, the dialogue would necessarily be different just because it's capturing the modern zeitgeist. But, you know, if they were trying to do a, a period piece and make it in, you know, set in 1976, but made in 2021, I think you could make the same movie now that you did then, assuming you had the same talent mm -hmm. making the movie. Okay. So, no, I mean, that that's my opinion. I don't think anything would need to be changed. So I don't know that they would be able to get away with having the Jodie Foster character in a modern... Well, I think this film did it very well. And I think that, you know, clearly this hasn't been blacklisted or marred. But hasn't I, been canceled yet? Yeah, I, I don't know how they would get away with it now. It's possible that it wouldn't be made now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if that's true, I think it would be a shame. I think they would age her a couple of years. I just, I think the 12 is so shocking. But I think that's the, well, obviously that's it's the, the point. point. Yeah. But you don't think that people could understand that now? It's not that I don't think people could understand it. I just think that they would have trouble clearing it with all the Hollywood executives to make it into right. the film. Well, I mean, even if it were an independent movie, I think it could get distribution. Yeah, probably. I think it could. Yeah, the independent film circuit. And it could probably be picked up if it were successful enough by Netflix and some of these other things and make a name for itself. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I agree. I think there'd be a huge amount of hesitance from Hollywood making this the same sort of... You couldn't tell this story with modern Hollywood with all that's going on right now. <sighs> Getting the funding from Hollywood, I think, would be tough. Yeah. So let's get into Act 5, shall we? All right. It's the Rose Award Ceremony. Everybody get excited. <laughs> I have never struggled so hard for an award ceremony before. I began to struggle and then I stopped. <laughs> uh, yeah. So who did you give your rose to? Who did you eventually wend your way to finding worthy of the rose award? It just, I struggled because the rose, I, I gave it to Bickle because he is the driver of the story. Like he is the centerpiece of the story, but... I struggled to give it to him. I had the same struggle, but I cut it short and I said, I'm giving it to the Secret Service guy. <laughs> okay. He stops an assassination on what could have been a good man. Politician, probably not, but what are you going to do? He didn't seem that great in the cab. Like nah. he seemed a little. But. Not deserving what, of assassination, but he just. <laughs> <laughs> what were his policies? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. But he was part, he was a fan of the people. We are the people. We we are the people. So he stops the assassination and causes him to instead go save an underage lady from being a prostitute. True. So I gave it to Secret Service guy. Okay. What about your Thorn? Thorn Award I gave to the governmental systems for not being there to help a veteran reintegrate into society better. You know what's kind of funny is my Thorn is very similar because I said if Bickle was the driving force of the story, if he was the Rose... I guess the thorn would be society, his mental health. I know. thought briefly about giving the rose and thorn to Bickle mm -hmm. for the same reason. 
but I stopped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a love award? I don't. I really didn't love anyone here. There's no character to love in this movie. I gave my love award to Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel. Okay. Just actors. The actor for the phenomenal job they yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. Hate award. I didn't give my hate award to anybody. Oh, I gave mine to sport. Anyone who could pimp a child gets my hate. Yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> I'll give it to sport. Okay. Begrudgingly. <laughs> no, not begrudgingly. I just didn't think about it enough. No, yeah. Hate award to sport. So rating wise, I said the genre was drama. I did too. Straight up drama. <laughs> what do you give it? I gave it a seven out of 10. Seven? I gave it a nine. Wow. You really did like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pros, I said, it was psychologically distressing and moving and thought provoking and some at some points provoking of sympathy for characters you wouldn't have expected. Like Bickle. Mm-hmm. Hell of a drama. Did you have any cons? Not for drama. So my only con was that I felt like some modern viewers that this could feel a little dated to them. That was the only con. It could could feel dated. Well, but this is supposed to be from your perspective, not a, a hypothetical other person. So I'll take back my con. And that was for drama that some aspects might feel dated, like... Or just the actual film quality. Just that it looks gritty, like it looks older. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, okay. I say if that... And the music can, to, to me, felt older as well. But that worked for the noir aspect. But, I mean, if you didn't like that, then that's a con. Okay. Directing? Directing. What did you give it? Seven. I gave it a 10 out of 10. Wow. <laughs> you really liked it. Yeah, this is, I thought, just superb directing. I mean, what can one say in a short blurb about the directing in this movie? It was beautiful. Every scene radiated a powerful sense of De Niro's obsessions and delusions and just whatever manic emotional state he was in you could just everything was kind of radiating that feeling and sometimes it was confusing like the end mm -hmm. where you i'm not sure why he flicked around to look in the mirror like what he did what kind of paranoid delusion did he have? yeah but i thought it was beautifully done i gave it i, I think i said a seven out of ten but yeah. I, I don't think i could articulate anything better than you did i can't <laughs> articulate anything better, like really about this movie either it's it's just so good like what unless i'm gonna analyze something scene by scene it's what can you say it's amazing. Wow. Oh, man. It's only going to go downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, music. Eight out of ten. Wow. I gave it a four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you didn't like the noiry kind of music, the jazzy sort of thing? To me, it was almost, it was louder, I think, than a lot of themes go. Like, they, they really cranked it up. Oh, I, so you mean it was like... It felt like they were just like really pushing hard the the sound on it. And I don't know. So it's like louder than the, the dialogue volume. Is that what you're saying? Well, because it well, they wouldn't even play the music during dialogue. It was interludes mm -hmm. between vignettes almost. And so like, oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Well, the reason I gave it an eight, which is a high score for music, I guess, because I mean, in the, in the world of music scores, my top tier S tier, if you will, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, A tier is Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter. What's Tron legacy? Oh, Tron is S tier. Okay. That's also up there. So this, I would say, is more like B tier. So like, you know, 80% is about B tier. Yeah, that, that's uh, it's a good score. Yeah. So I thought it was really good. This is normally not my style of music, mm -hmm. but I thought it j jived really well with the movie. And honestly, I, I found myself just kind of grooving to it sometimes. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I, I liked it. And I thought when it was, there were some 
pieces of the score that felt very dissonant. Mm-hmm. It felt uncomfortable to listen to, but I liked that. I because it it worked with his frame of mind. Yeah, it, it, he was an uncomfortable character to watch. Yeah, so, so even the music when music being uncomfortable makes sense. Yeah, so even when the music was uncomfortable, I thought it worked for the movie. So for that reason, I uh, gave it a pretty high score. Yeah, okay. writing. Writing, I gave a seven out of ten. Okay. Which is still, I guess, relatively high, but I thought the overall the story was very compelling, and like I said, the dialogue was always very compelling. But I thought the ending was weak. Okay. Because there were no repercussions. And you couldn't. So I, I gave. I I just changed mine. I bumped it up to a seven. But I believe that at the end, I couldn't tell if Bickle was somehow better now, or if he was faking it, or like I just I couldn't. Yeah. There was more I wanted to dissect there. Yeah, I agree. I had the same thoughts and I'm not sure if the movie intentionally doesn't go into that because it wants you to just take the story for what it was and then like people say make up your own mind about the next part or if they thought that they had implied the conclusion to that train of thought. I don't know. That might be a writing problem. What did you think about the acting? Acting. Uh obviously a 9 out of 10. I gave mine a 7 out of 10, but De Niro, Foster, Keitel, Scorsese, they were all sublime. But, and I don't know if this was a problem of the writing or the acting based on what you said earlier. I think it had to do with the acting. Mm. I just had trouble connecting with Sybil Shepard and I didn't understand his attachment to her. Well, so for the cleanliness. Yeah. No, I, I took it, his attachment at least began as purely physical. He just thought she was really pretty mm-hmm. and then made up a, a big narrative in his mind about why she was so important to him. Mm-hmm. So what was your real rating? The real? Big, the big guns here. The big guns. Real rating? I gave a nine out of 10. Wow. I gave my real a seven, but it just, again, that is a very good score. Yeah, but I also think that I like the the more psychologically distressing movies mm-hmm. than you do. I think that's also true. Like Joker, loved it. I, I like Joker a lot, but I don't think I could just casually watch it multiple times. Like I, like this movie, I would have to. Yeah, well, and I think we had this discussion a, a couple episodes ago, the thing about rewatchability. Mm-hmm. Like I, w- I wouldn't want to watch Joker or Taxi Driver a bunch either because it would take the magic away from it. Mm-hmm. It would take the power of it. I become disillusioned. So one thing that I find interesting though, is like you were talking about your, you want to rewatch it at least one more time to try to pick up on the background. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what your perception of things will be when you see all the background stuff happening. Yeah. I I'm sure it'll just enrich the, the experience of this movie. We'll have to come back. Yeah. You've done it. Yeah. We'll have to have a follow up. and heart rating. What do you give it for a heart? Seven out of 10, which is up from what my original nostalgia rating was. What was your original? Five. Oh, wow. Came up two points. It did, which is, again, like what I'm saying, like I, I did score it, I think, pretty high. Yeah. But this is not a typical film that I go after. Uh, heart rating, I also gave it a 9 out of 10. Bickle is Slytherin. He's not a Gryffindor. <sighs> what would Bickle be? He has that ambition that I need to do something. So did Harry. It's all about choice. So where do you, where do you think he would think he would go? I think Bickle would think he is a Gryffindor. Yeah. Because he wants to be that heroic type. But I don't think he is. 
I think it's all self-serving, which is well. He but he even has a monologue at some point that says that something like the perpetual self, not gratification, something like that. Though mm-hmm. he was admonishing other people for thinking too much about themselves, but maybe he's not self-aware enough to know that that is what he's doing. Oh, he absolutely is not self-aware. <laughs> So this is a new thing we've never tried to... What house is our... Well, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good thing to do. So you think Slytherin, though? Is he evil enough to be Slytherin? Slytherin isn't necessarily evil. Just There's calculating? Calculating, ambitious. Is he ambitious? I think he's ambitious. He, he wants to do a big thing. I was thinking Hufflepuff. He's not hungry enough for Hufflepuff. <laughs> you think people in, in, uh, in Hufflepuff are hungry? Did I tell you that I'm a self-hating Huffle? Oh, is that a stereotype that Hufflepuffs are? They're food. No. Food I th- motivated. No, They're I, stubborn. No, I think that Hufflepuff is more characterized by either the desire to be a people person, or which he's not, mm-hmm. obviously, or uh, a misfit. I think that misfits, general misfits, are more of a Hufflepuff thing. See, the, the Hufflepuffs that I see in my head, they're the Marion Pip. Because I think Mary and Pips are Hufflepuffs, but Neville, I think Neville is an archetypal Hufflepuff. He's not a people person, but he's he's just kind of a misfit. I think he, I think that's the Hufflepuff way. <laughs> I am not such a misfit. <laughs> Why can I just do Pippin? Maybe Pippin to Pippin. Why can't I fit in? Boom, boom. Oh God, that is pickle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, so are we done? Next time. Is this, is this, is this all over? <gasps> what are we doing next time on RTR? Act six next time on the RTR. So next time on the RTR, join us as we go for One Flew Over, the cuckoo's nest. Cuckoo. I wish I had a sound effect right there. We could have gone AM radio. Cuckoo, cuckoo. What are we doing next time on RTR? <laughs> blamp, blamp, blamp. Uh, as Zach is queuing up the trailer, I will say that my nostalgia rating for this is a six out of 10 with a real rating of eight out of 10. My predicted Zach Hart rating is a 7 out of 10 with a reel of 7 out of 10. I will say that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, when I first heard about this when I was but a young lad, when I heard the title, I thought it was a flu like a fireplace flu. Mm-hmm. I was very confused. Oh. <laughs> Why do you think they might think that? Don't make a bit of sense to me. Do you think there's anything wrong with your mind, really? Not a thing, Doc. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. God almighty, she's got you guys coming or going. Little change never hurt, huh? Little variety. Oh, come on. You're not going to say that now. You're not going to say that now. You're going to pull that henhouse shit now. When the vote that Chief just voted, it was 10 to 9. Now, I want that television set turned on right now. I don't think he's overly psychotic. No, I want something. Done. I think he's dangerous. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out. I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Well, you're not. Hey, wait a minute. Ah! Hold it! See how easy it is? Oh!
from the uh, state mental institution. Uh, this is Dr. Cheswick, Dr. Tabor, Dr. Scanlon. I'm Dr. McMurphy. Hey, You creeped, you lunatics, <laughs> mental defective. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. Thank you. I'll never forget you. So do join us next time on the RTR as we enjoy One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! I would like to say thank you to Julian Crowhurst for the use of our theme song. Uh, Kaka. Yes, indeed. I don't know why I said that in a conversational way. I don't know. Kaka! There you go. Yeah, exactly I found it. <laughs> <laughs> you were cuckoo for Kaka. One floor of the cuckoo's nest. Cuckoo for caca, though? I'm not sure that works right. <laughs> no, it sounds <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, anyway. this has been Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver! Now, please, for the love of Jesus Christ. Superstar? Would you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? Don't ignore me again. Don't you ignore me. I'm going to get a 44 Magnum. Don't you look at those others. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you look at those fatties, losers. You just look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Speaking of Heath Ledger. Aww. Aww. So. Actually, that wasn't his movie. That was from Batman Begins. So, yes. Do rate us. Save us. <laughs> and, and join us in the conversation on Facebook on the Hardy R Community Face Place. And again, just make our lives better. Rate and review us. Keep us going strong. Let us mm -hmm, know you're mm -hmm. there. Yes, indeed. Please, for the love of G's. But I think that's it. I think that's everything. We've said all we need to say, right? That's all there is. All right. There isn't any more. Well, I'm Zach, so bye. I'm Allison. Ta-ta. <laughs>